0: the more foolish the fool or the fool who follows it
1: why you stuck up half-witted scruffy looking nerf herder
2: w w radio my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 551, and I'm here once again not only to help you have the best vacation experience, but I want to take you from the parks to the screens and everything in between with my videos, live broadcasts, special events, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. Star Wars Celebration was held this past week in Chicago and I was invited out to cover the event that not just celebrates Star Wars fandom but what's new and next in the parks and on the big and small screens. So this week we're going to explore what we learned about Star Wars Episode IX The Rise of Skywalker, The Mandalorian series coming to Disney+, Plus, as well as what we saw on the show floor and in the Galaxy's Edge panel and booth including new details, about the Play Disney Parks app, other interactive experiences, dining options, of course, and a galaxy of unique merchandise. And no matter your level of Star Wars fandom or your chlorian count, there's going to be something here for you and to get very, very excited about. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new Star Wars-themed challenge for your chance to win a Disney and maybe Star Wars prize package then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about upcoming special events, meet to the month, my momentum, retreat, and workshop, your voicemails, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. A long time ago... <laughs> In what now seems like a galaxy far, far away. Little nine-year-old Lou Mangello walked into Middlesex Mall in Piscataway, New Jersey in 1977 with his dad, completely unprepared for what he was about to see and how it would change his life forever. And that is not an overstatement. It is not an exaggeration, but the actual truth, because it was an impactful event and film from the moment that Star Destroyer came on screen and my dad and I looked over at each other, literally eyes and mouths wide open in complete awe. And when it launched, I think it wasn't just my first true sense of of personal fandom, but it was a revolutionary time in cinematic history. And over the next... 40 years, my love of Star Wars grew through Empire and Jedi and was completely rekindled at the announcement of a new trilogy back in 1999, like little Lou Mangello waited in line at Toys R Us into the wee hours of the morning for all of the toys, I mean collectibles, which didn't end up putting my kids through college that I had hoped, but instead were sold at a garage sale, but I digress. But while my personal and emotional attachment to the franchise may have admittedly waned slightly over the years, a a, a new spark was ignited when Disney, out of the blue, announces that they buy Lucasfilm. And it's continued to grow again over time with those flames obviously increasing with the announcement of Galaxy's Edge. And what happened? this past weekend when I was invited out to cover Star Wars Celebration in Chicago? Well, that's what we're here to discuss. And joining me this week are fellow Star Wars nerds. Gentlemen, I use that term affectionately, as you know. And fellow <laughs> podcasters, I also use that term affectionately. It's Ryan Donahoe from ForceCast.net, who, by the way, invited me to join him for the next stop and or story of Star Tours audio documentary so ryan we have talked a lot in the past couple of weeks and months but first time on the show and welcome buddy
3: is it uh is it weird to say that my favorite part of star wars celebration was the chats with lou mangelo would you believe me if i said that absolutely not
2: (laughs) nobody is buying that but that but i appreciate it nonetheless Um, and also from the first time although i've been on his show in the past i think it was back in 2015 Dan Zair from CoffeeWithKenobi.com.
4: Well, hello there. I guess it's kind of an Obi-Wan Kenobi thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> I like it. Thank you so uh, much, Lou, for being on. This is—I've been listening to you uh, for
2: uh, the the lawyer in the lawyer days. So this is an honor for me. Oh Thank my you. gosh, you've to you—that's way back when, man. And I'm still completely surprised that that anybody continued to um, listen in and it's good to see you guys again. We spent some time together at Star Wars Celebration. You were both kind enough to invite me on a couple times to do some daily recaps so make sure you go check out Forcecast.net and Coffee with Kenobi because you guys did a lot of day by day, literally on the ground coverage of the event and there's a lot to cover and there's a lot to talk about especially in terms of what I sort of term the, the, the big three of Panels and announcements, but very quickly, just to give people a little bit of context, Ryan and then Dan, and I only do that not just by alphabetical order. Tell me a little bit about your Star Wars story. Sort of where does does your love of Star Wars begin, and how does it end up being that you end up podcasting about it for such a long time?
3: Well, uh, it's funny, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel old here, so. Uh, I actually celebrated my birthday at Star Wars Celebration, and I am the ripe old age of 26. Hi. So one of the um, <laughs> one of the main panels that was highlighting Star Wars Celebration on Monday was the 20th anniversary of the Phantom Menace. So if you can do the math, that puts me at six when the Phantom Menace is released. And like you, Lou, 1999, in line with my dad, Toys R Us, Midnight Madness. Yes, a six-year-old at Midnight Madness comes barging <laughs> in there looking for all the Jar-Jars I can find, <laughs> uh, looking for uh, all the Rick Lees and all the characters. We, we still n- are not sure why they were the first action figures, but I digress. Uh, you know, I, I the first movie I ever saw in theaters was the New Hope Special Edition uh, in 1997. So the very first movie I ever saw was Star Wars. I was four, so I, I didn't put too much together. But I, I, I remember very, very small feelings of that's different. There's something about that that's different than the cartoons I'm watching. And then fast forward to 1999, in the theater, The Phantom Menace, the Star Wars crawl comes up, the music is blaring, and guess what? As a six-year-old, that was, and that still today is in my top five movies, and my life from there in entertainment has always been re- and always will be revolved around Star Wars, and I'm sure a lot of you are, are like, Lou, where did you find this guy? But yes, <laughs> The Phantom Menace uh, is is sort of the... The absolute kicking off, the, a new hope in, in nineteen ninety seven was sort of the warm up, and then the Phantom Menace was the thing that changed it all for me.
2: We're we're cool. You didn't say episode two or three, so we're still on speaking terms. You're fine.
3: Uh, we <laughs> still got a while to go. So.
2: <laughs> Dan, what about you?
4: Yeah, for me, I I uh, back when little Lou Tiberius Mongella was buying his Phantom Menace figures, that's a Star Trek reference for those of you out there. I uh, I was also in a similar boat. We're probably of a similar age. In 1978, I saw Star Wars for the first time at a drive-in movie theater in New Orleans, Louisiana, and it completely changed the way I view movies, pop culture, everything. Uh, I actually had a Star Wars action figure before I saw the movie. I remember vividly, and this is going to kill you, I remember being um, at a JCPenney's in a toy aisle with the early bird box. And I remember saying, let's get this. And my dad said, well, there's no toys in there. You're just buying a box. And I thought, but I'm going to get something in the mail. Hello. But he wasn't having it. So the, the early bird special and I were never to to meet. But I ended up finding C3PO later when the figures came out. Saw the movie. Changed my life. I've been probably collecting in Star Wars ever since then. Just ask my wife and come look in our attic and I'll show you. And it's it's been amazing. I When we got married... Uh, we couldn't figure out a song to play as we left the church. And we'd been there for about an hour. And I finally said, hey, listen to this. And I played the throne room scene from <laughs> A New Hope when they get their medals. And my wife looked at me and she said, is that Star Wars? And I said, yeah. And she goes, yeah, it's fine. So that sealed it. We were going to get married. That was, that was her final test. And she passed. And fast forward to coffee with Kenobi. We've been doing that for six years now. So I'm able to take what I use in the classroom during my day job and apply that thought process of critical thinking and, and analysis, but having some fun at the same time and transition that into the show.
2: Nice. And, and as long as Ryan gave his, what, what is your, because I think we all have our Star Wars movie. So what is your Star Wars movie? Well,
4: I mean, I know you and I talked about this at Celebration, but I mean, yes, A New Hope is, is kind of on a another plane of existence. It's It really is the movie that started it all. And I have a great affinity for that. But if pressed, I would probably say The Empire Strikes Back.
2: Nice. Both of which, you know, are perfectly fine um, as answers. So let's let's sort of fast forward to Star Wars Celebration. I think you were there not just from a, a coverage perspective, but clearly as a fan perspective. Had you been to any Star Wars Celebrations before and whether you were or weren't, what were sort of your your expectations going in a, as a fan first?
3: Well, my very first celebration was the last one in Orlando in in 2017. Uh, it was the first one as a podcaster. We were at a uh, a smaller podcast at the time before we accepted the the job at the Forcecast, and that one it, it was it was unreal. Um, I tried to make every single panel that was out there, and this is back in the in the days two years ago where they required you to sleep on concrete for 12 straight hours to get into <laughs> panels. Um, it that was kind of a disaster. I was in way over my head. But I left that weekend thinking what makes Star Wars Celebration is not the panels. It's the people. It's the family aspect of Star Wars fandom. Whether you like this, whether you don't like this, whether you're crazy like me and and the Phantom Menace is number one on your Star Wars list, or whether you haven't liked anything since 1977, Star Wars Celebration is about the people and it's about the family aspect of Star Wars. And so this time coming into Chicago, A different show, obviously, different access and different uh, setup. But I made a very, very short list of of expectations and priorities. And number one, and the only thing on the list, was to have fun and to talk to fans from beginning to end. Because that is what I remember the most from my first celebration. And I think they fixed some of the line issues with the lottery. I think they took uh, some complaints to heart and really applied them here in Chicago and I will say I had the best time. I've only been to two, but this is number one on my list for Star Wars Celebration. And the hundreds of people that I shook hands with and gave hugs to, I will still remember for the rest of my life. And I can't even tell you how many panels I saw in Orlando two years ago. So that to me is something I learned from the first one. And I was right. It's, it's, it's about the people because fandom is best experienced with friends and family. And I will never forget that.
4: For me, this was my fourth celebration. I went to celebration three as a fan, um, and then my first one for coffee with Kenobi was in 2015 in Orlando. And then I went to—I'm sorry—in Anaheim, and then I went to one in Orlando, and then of course this one in Chicago, which is really near where I live anyway. What I was expecting from this one because I thought uh, overall I thought Orlando—similar to what you had just said—it was kind of a mess. It was—it uh, seemed a little disorganized. It was very crowded. And it uh, just didn't have the same kind of flair that Anaheim did. Chicago, I knew there'd be long lines. I mean, one thing I neglected to mention at the start of this is the reason I waited till 1978 to see Star Wars is because the six times I tried to see it before, it was always sold out. And there was nothing like a Fandango. Back (laughs) in my day, kids, we didn't have Fandango. (laughs) So I couldn't get any tickets that way. So that was why it took so long. So I knew... Star Wars is about waiting in lines. I waited in line to get tickets for the Phantom Menace. I waited in line for every subsequent film until Disney took over, of course. And I thought it would be crowded, but I also knew because what I had done, C2E2 is in Chicago also. So I went up there a couple of weeks before Celebration to scout it out, to put some stuff on Instagram and Twitter to kind of give people some peace of mind cuz there was a lot of angst. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of apprehension about what to expect from Celebration Chicago, so I wanted to scope it out myself. I knew the McCormick place was gigantic. And I believe it's the biggest convention center in North America, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. So I knew that would be we'd be in good shape there. And then I had known that there was a lottery system that was going to help sort of, you know, quality control what was going on. I went in Orlando. I don't know about you, Ryan, but in Orlando I waited in line for about twelve hours in the hopes of going to the fortieth anniversary panel. And I didn't get it. Yeah, it's, it's always fun
3: concrete. to it's always fun to have somebody look you in the eye after 12 hours at uh, sleeping on
4: concrete and saying, "Oh, sorry, sir, uh, not this time." <laughs> exactly. And my Jedi mind tricks didn't work. I was already too tired to use them anyway. So this was a this was a more of a refreshing approach as far as trying to get in to the different panels and things like that. Uh, and ultimately, it wasn't disappointment. This is my favorite celebration that I've been to. I, I, everything that was wrong with Orlando was right with Celebration Chicago, uh, getting to meet a lot of people that I had, had not only talked about or with online or I'd broadcast with but never i gotten to meet, becoming reacquainted with friends and become like family. I mean, we know how it is, it, whether it's in the Star Wars community or the Disney community, and when they coalesce into one, you become very, very close with the people because you're interested in the same stuff. You're talking about the same things, and, and you have – there's a kinship there, and Chicago just – fostered that and brought it to another place
2: yeah and i agree with you guys 100 percent about celebration d23 expo MegaCon, all these type of fan conventions the stuff on, in the panels and in the rooms has always been secondary or even tertiary to me versus what happens on the show floor and in the hallways it's about the friendships it's about the fandom it's about seeing like-minded people in a place of of ultimate acceptance and what I mean by that is you know nerdy is the new black like when I was a kid I got thrown in a lot of lockers for liking Star Wars now all of a sudden it's cool to be a fan and you are able to express that fandom in whatever way you are comfortable with and it's one of the so Thursday for me was all about just walking the show floor and checking out the booths and looking at the cosplayers and the exhibits and the things that the fans had brought to the table. And I had so much fun meeting people, interacting with people, taking pictures and seeing how that that personal expression of your love of Star Wars is able to to come out and be shared with other people. And and having sort of that platform and a place to do it in in a place that people They get you, man. You know, if I wear my Ewok costume around here, again, they would probably still throw me up around a locker. You wear your Ewok costume at at Star Wars Celebration and people are, are, you know, lining up to take pictures with you. So uh, Thursday for me was a blast um, hitting that show floor and being able to see – the fans and that excitement level starting to build for what was to come. So I, but I really, what I really want to do is as we talk about the next few days, and it ran from Thursday to Monday, I was there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There really are sort of the big three in terms of the panels, what took place in the arena, and I think the things that we are, are most excited about, which is Star Wars Episode Nine. what we did or did not know about galaxy's edge and what none of us knew really a lot about which was sort of the dark horse for me which was the mandalorian but i want to go let's sort of go day by day in the order that that we covered them and they got a chance to see them and the first was that that episode nine panel and i almost want to take a second to talk about what your expectations levels were going in because admittedly and 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 i'm and I said this in the past, my love, not my love of Star Wars, but my fandom of Star Wars had started to diminish a little bit over the last few films. I never really got into the TV series. I started to get more and more distant with Episode 2 and Episode 3 and Rogue One. And I wasn't just having that emotional connection to Solo. So I didn't know from a fan perspective what to think or expect or feel coming into episode nine other than that excitement starting to build because of where I was and sort of being in that place. So, again, just very quickly, Ryan and Dan, give me your your expectations before the, the lights went down on the episode nine panel.
3: Well, they were very low for me because this is J.J. Abrams' return to Star Wars. We all know J.J. Abrams' thing is secrecy. Uh, it's all about telling you the the least amount of stuff you need to know to go into a movie, and and while I can respect that, that's just sort of how it how it's been. You never got to look at Luke Skywalker leading up to Episode Seven because he wanted that reveal at the end where he turns to look at Ray. You didn't. He didn't reveal sort of all of the main cast on the build, build up to Episode Seven. So I came in thinking, you know what, they really need to hit a home run here, but I'm not going to hype myself up for any sort of major reveal here only because this is J.J. Abrams, and the only person J.J. Abrams seems to answer to is secrecy. And I thought, okay, we'll, we'll get a title, which is fantastic. We'll probably get some generic shots and images of certain characters. We won't hear from Luke. We won't see Carrie Fisher. We won't see anything that says, oh, wow, the way the movie's going to go is this. I thought it was just going to be sort of a, hey, get hyped. Star Wars is back. Uh, and so, I, I, yeah, that's that's sort of the way I came into it was, okay, J.J.'s back, and along with that is the secrecy.
4: For me, uh, one of the biggest things for me is I'm not a big speculation person. Uh, To kind of put that in perspective for you, I don't even like knowing where my wife goes shopping uh, in the month of December, (laughs) even if it's at the grocery store. I don't want to know because I like to be surprised, and that's one of the reasons I like J.J. Abrams so much because that is something he prides himself on, and it clearly has worked throughout his entire career in film and television and entertainment. So I know there was a lot of consternation leading up to today or not today, but to Friday because people wanted a title. They wanted a poster. Where's the trailer? I knew in my heart of hearts because I was there in Anaheim with the Chewy We're Home moment. I was in that room when they showed that trailer for the first time. And it was one of the most electric experiences in my fandom that I've ever had. So I was hoping for a punch like that. I know there wasn't going to be a Harrison Ford type of a situation, but I knew it was going to be powerful. I knew I was going to get a title. And I, and I was excited about little things like what, what kind of font are they going to use? What, you know, what, <laughs> I knew Last I was red. Are they going to go to blue? Are they going to go to purple? What are they going to do with this thing? You know, as an English teacher, colors matter and the symbolism behind them is palpable. So then when I was sitting there watching this, or get the, when the lights were dimming and we're getting ready for it, I just knew I was going to get to see these characters in in a bold, exciting new way. And because it's a teaser, and I think Lou and we might have talked about this before, because it was a teaser, I know I wasn't going to get any plot stuff, which was good. I can honestly say that when the real full trailer comes out, I would be completely 100% at peace without watching it. Now, that's not going to happen because a lot of people, you know, fortunately will ask me, what did you think of the trailer? So I need to watch it and tell them it's a good problem to have. But I just wanted to be excited. I wanted to be thrilled. And I wanted to cheer like I was at a sporting event. And boy, did this thing deliver.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it definitely, as somebody who came in with really not a lot of expectations, it over-delivered. And we'll talk about some of those moments that delivered. I am a huge J.J. Abrams fan. I could watch Lost all day, every day, a million times over. and And I dig the veil of secrecy that he likes to to put over, sort of that that mystery box, um, because I think what this does and what it did for this weekend was it made this movie more than a movie. It made this, and it's going to make this an event. This this ninth chapter, this final chapter in in what we now know as as you know the 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 Skywalker saga, and we'll talk about the the title. Uh, I think. One of the things I like about J.J. Abrams is that he gets it, not just from a, a fan perspective, but I think when he and Kathleen Kennedy came out, he understands his obligations and responsibilities, not just to Lucas and the characters and the filmmakers, but to us, the fans. And I think that's why there is such this, there was this uproarious applause when he and Kathleen Kennedy came out. Um, Stephen Colbert was the the surprise guest host, um, and, and he talked about how this movie is is not just sort of the ending of a trilogy, but the challenges of making it his its own movie, not just his own movie, but it it its own movie, and about leading into the the next generation. The, the title, when it came up on, you know, when those blue letters came up on screen, there was a, this, this loud gasp. but when the title, The Rise of Skywalker, comes up on screen, tell me, share with me, um, again, in the same order, tell me your immediate thoughts when you saw it.
3: I, I just couldn't believe what I saw. Every second of that teaser was not what I was expecting at all. Um, if we're just talking title, um, I think it opens doors that I think it needed to open. It, it, it asks more questions than it answers. And so we are now all, as a collective fandom of Star Wars, whether you're in just a little bit or you're crazy like us and talk about it every single day, the question's going to be who are they talking about? Who is this Skywalker? Who is rising? What, like, what does this mean for Ray's parents? I thought we already closed the door on that. We spent enough time on that, but now here we are once again. It's, it's, it's right back to Ray's parents. But that, that was the thing that I was most excited about. Is because I think Star Wars is best as an event, as a build up. Part, of the problem with Solo is that it was five months after the Last Jedi. The promotion was not great. It didn't feel like an event. It was felt like, oh, do you have an extra two hours? Stop by and see a Star Wars film in the theaters. Imagine telling young Lou Mangello that in 1978, (laughs) but it's to me, I I think it's perfect because it, it makes the fan that maybe hasn't been so, so excited about the Disney era of star Wars reads that title and says, I've got to see that movie. And it also has the folks like us that do podcasts or fans that just talk at work or talk at school and says, who are they talking about? And it's going to have us talking for eight months. And by the time we get to December, it will feel like an event because I've got every, every morning since celebration, I've woken up and said, well, who is this Skywalker? And that's what I felt like was missing from solo back in May. And this to me is just, is, is going to bring back the event style of star Wars movies.
2: So Dan, as you, as you give your, your thoughts, I want to pose the question to both of you. One of the first things I thought of is, and look, I, I, I am, I don't know all the extended universe. I am not, but one of the things I thought of and I wondered is, is Skywalker not a proper name? Is it not the name of of a person or a family? Is it potentially the name of a group of people like the Jedi? Like, is the rise of Skywalker like the rise of the Jedi, like of the Skywalkers? Is this another group of people as opposed to just being an individual?
4: Sure. I mean, I to be honest, because I because we know what JJ Abrams is like, he's the kind of guy that's gonna say, look over there, he's gonna pull something <laughs> out of his other sleeve. You know, there is no way that JJ Abrams is gonna telegraph everything. I mean, sure, the push button response and I actually got to be a, a part of an interview where he was he was asked these questions and he said, Well, basically I, I'm not gonna tell you that and and the interviewer asking him, the person asking him said, Well, well, it must be Ray, right? Ray must be a Skywalker. And he said, well, you're just going to have to watch the movie and find out. I think it's metaphorical. I think The Last Jedi, there was a lot of, oh, is Jedi singular? Is it plural? There was a lot of that that was going on. I think this is more of an idea. I mean, one of the nice things that The Last Jedi did, and if I were really pushed, I think The Last Jedi might, I think, be the best overall Star Wars movie. We can certainly talk about that for a long time, (laughs) and we have. (laughs) Um, Is that – it? It, it asks you to believe in hope, like the, like all the good Star Wars movies do, but it also asks you to believe in this idea, this ideal. There's this demystification in The Last Jedi about what it means to be a hero, but the hero rises. The hero comes back to greatness, as happens at the end of The Last Jedi. So the rise of the Skywalkers might very well mean something metaphorical and inspirational. As far as um, you know that, that immediacy of, of seeing that title – I still was having palpitations because of palpatine. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was exploding with excitement when I heard that laugh first I saw what I thought I like, is that a death star? What, what what wreckage are they looking at? is this it reminded me kind of 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 old Star Wars video games uh, quite honestly and then it went dim you know no one's ever truly gone and you heard that 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 beautiful maniacal laugh of Sheev Palpatine. And I started clapping and, gro- and squeezing my fist together like when Hulk smashed Loki around the first time I saw the <laughs> Avengers. And, I, and then they showed the And I thought, here it he comes, the rise of Skywalker. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful monomyth ending to this nine-episode series. I thought, that could not be more perfect. And I clapped and screamed. And Michael Jordan was dropping 55 against the Knicks all over again.
3: <laughs> well, I, I think to go back to what Dan said about being metaphorical. The story of what we coined the sequel trilogy is to me that you don't have to be Luke Skywalker. It doesn't matter what your last name is for you to be the hero of your own story. And sort of the beautiful part of the sequels to me is this idea that Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, was supposed to be the Anakin and the Luke of these sequels. And he all he's done has, has failed. And then this girl comes along who has no parents, has no connection. He tells her in The Last Jedi, you don't have a place in this story. What are you doing here? And she's taking the lightsaber that belonged to him. She's taking the mantle that belonged to him. And that's why he is so you know, upset that she's taking this. He was sort of left and abandoned, and he felt like by, by the Skywalker family. And she's coming in and she's being embraced. To me, if I had to make a guess as to what this could possibly mean, Rise of Skywalker... I think at the end of this movie, we are going to learn that we are all Skywalkers, mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter if you if your last name is Skywalker and you're related to Luke or Anakin, like we thought this trilogy would be that Han and Leia's son would come and he would be the hero and he would defeat the evil. But they turned it on their head. And and now it's it's we have no idea where they're going. And I feel like Ray and possibly Kylo next to her will say at the end of this film once the ultimate evil once the wrinkly old man is finally put down you know and, and finally gone and the emperor i think we are going to learn that ray represents the idea that we're all skywalkers and it, you don't have to just be luke or you don't have to come from a powerful family you can come from nowhere even in the middle of a story that has the most powerful family and still be the hero and to me i think this movie is going to end with a message that yes anakin yes luke Were the Skywalkers. They were the main family, but we're all Skywalkers in the story. And if you're living in a desert, then you can look out in the suns and you are also Luke Skywalker. To me, that's sort of how I'm at right now.
4: No, that's an astute observation, Ryan. I really like that. I actually talked about that. The HuffPost interviewed me after the last show. I came out and asked me about that. And I said, look, I'm a teacher. I understand in this world we don't have nuclear families like we used to back in the 50s and the 60s and what have you. So the fact that Ray learns and again, I could talk about the cave metaphor for, for days and pretty much have. And that's why my wife probably was like, no, I think I'm going to go to bed. I don't want to talk about the same <laughs> Um, But there, there is power in knowing that you don't have to, you can be, as you said, so beautifully, Ryan, you don't have to be defined by your parents. You can create your own destiny. You can create your own legacy. That, by the way, is why I think she's not a Skywalker. But I digress.
2: Yeah, it, it, because of, you see in my background, I'm a Spider-Man. I, I thought about, A scene from Into the Spider-Verse, you know, that sort of anybody could be Spider-Man, you know, the mask eventually fits. And that's why I sort of thought like, you know, kids are anybody could be a Jedi. Anybody can can be a Skywalker um, as opposed to it being um, an individual person. But you talked about. The return of some characters, we heard that Emperor's laugh. Ian McDermott came out and he's, you know, I'm not going to do a bad, I mean, we'll do a bad, you know, roll it again. And he, the place just lost their collective marbles. But we see that there are returns of characters like Ray and Finn and Poe and Chewbacca. We saw them by the Falcon on some mysterious, you know, forest planet. We did see that although obviously she had passed, they were able to reuse, uh, Uh, Footage of Carrie Fisher um, from The Force Awakens, a lot of people got very excited, a little bit confused (laughs) when he started talking, but Billy Dee Williams is back and, and, you know, Lando um, very enthusiastically is returning. But we also found out that some characters are not. Captain Phasma supposedly is gone, according to uh, John Boyega. But we also met some new characters. Um, Naomi Aki is is Jana. Um, she is is going to be joining the uh, the original group. And I think the question that a lot of people started asking, which of course she wouldn't answer, um, is is this Lando Calrissian's daughter and I, and she and she did answer the question by saying Lando's a very charming man and he could have children all over the universe is all she was saying but uh, a great answer yeah it is a it's a JJ Abrams answer right um yes. you know what do you think of this character and and you know is she is, is it almost too obvious for her to be Lando's daughter
3: I I have typically tried to stay away from Everyone is everyone's daughter. Everyone is everyone's son. Uh, This is one of the reasons why I understand why some people may not enjoy the fact that Rey, as the ultimate hero of this trilogy, wasn't a Skywalker. This is a family saga. Uh, Now, family can mean a lot of different things. That doesn't have to mean father-son or mother-daughter or blood-related. Family can mean a lot of different things. But I do think there's a chance, just so we can have that family connection, and saying, you know, there's there's a theory out there that in, in Solo, A Star Wars Story, when Han takes the Falcon from Lando at, at the ending of the movie, and Lando tells Han, I'll get that ship back, and Han says, over my dead body, fast forward to episode nine, and he's back in the Falcon cockpit. So maybe that's why he's back. He finally is cashing in on that bet <laughs> from Solo. Or his daughter brings him back into the fight as she crosses paths with the new heroes. I think the picture that they showed of her in the field looking kind of you know, like she's ready for a fight says to me that she's going to help our heroes. And I, do I think she's Lando's daughter? If I, if you, if you made me give an answer, I'd say no, but I think there's a chance just because that family aspect of the saga in episode seven, eight and nine only exists with Ben Solo and now Leia, because everyone else has, is gone. So that to me would be an easy way to bring Lando back. But like I said, that that does seem all too convenient that she would be his daughter.
4: And I think she uh that, that image they showed was quite quite nice. I mean, one of the things that one of the great things about JJ from a cinematography perspective is he he creates art. I mean everything is art, I suppose. It just looks like something beautiful that could be on a canvas. I know she's a charming actress. I know they think very highly of her. And that's pretty much it. I don't think that she I don't have any thoughts on whether she's related to anyone or whether she, she used to babysit Ben solo or something like that. It's more like, this is just someone new and we don't know anything about it. And I wouldn't have it any other way.
2: Yeah. And we were introduced to some other new characters, uh, specifically aliens. Um, I think the, I think Clad or cloud was a, a, a new alien that was introduced. We were introduced to uh, a new droid Dio. They're going to sell a billion dollars worth of Dio merchandise, uh, <laughs> by the way. Um, but uh, the one thing I want to say as we sort of start to move on to the next day was that overall feeling that I got. Obviously, you know, we, we had hoped that we were going to see the teaser trailer. We we got a chance to do it. There was something about it for me. And I think the reason why I got excited all over again in that very sort of childlike, giddy kind of way was not just because we heard, you know, Palpatine's voice again, but it had that same type of, understand what I mean by this, that that gritty, dirty feel that episode four, that original Star Wars, and even the original trilogy, trilogy sort of had to it. And I think that's, for me personally, one of the reasons why this trailer got me as excited as I am.
3: Well, we talked about this on, on one of our day recaps, Lou, when you came by the booth. To me, the reason why I was so shocked about what was shown is, and they've been showing us hints from the very beginning with the press release that production had started. They put Mark Hamill right in the cast. We're not even going to leave this up to speculation. Will he be back as a ghost? Will he not? They put Carrie Fisher right in the press release, Billy Dee Williams right in the press release. They're not going to wait to reveal this stuff. Why I was so shocked by the teaser is because when the Emperor laughs and then Ian McDiarmid steps out onto the stage, that would be a really sweet reveal before episode nine, if we had no idea, you sit down in December right around Christmas time and all of a sudden the Emperor is back. Imagine that moment having no idea. So I was shocked that J.J. was so adamant and Kathleen Kennedy afterwards that they're, sh- they're revealing that the Emperor is basically u- the ultimate villain of Star Wars. And yes, he is back in some form or fashion. But I I put this question to you when, we, when I when we talked and I said, to me, it feels like no matter how you feel about one, two and three or 7-8 and Rogue One and Solo, and, and so on and so on. Like I said, there are fans there that haven't liked anything since 1977. What the trailer felt like to me was telling everybody, no matter where you come from, no matter how old you are, no matter what part of Star Wars you like or don't like, this it's time to bring everybody home. You have the classic characters. The trailer starts out with Mark Hamill's voice. The trailer then goes on and has Billy Dee Williams and Carrie Fisher and you see C-3PO. So those touch points for the, the old school fans Those those are there. Those those especially the kids that are Ray and Finn and Poe, they're together for the first time. You get to see that for the first time. And it's 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 exciting, especially for the kids that this is their trilogy. And you hear J.J. Abrams say it in every interview. You hear him say it when he talks about this. This ties all three trilogies together. And, you know, when you have a family reunion, Uncle Steve still kind of stinks, but he's there. (laughs) And you don't have to like every movie. There is a couple Uncle Steve's to some people, and that's fine. But episode nine is the family reunion. It is the homecoming um, for you, Lou, the Spider-Man fan. It is the homecoming for Star Wars fans saying, there's going to be something for everybody in this movie, no matter what trilogy you like, no matter where you come from. And that, to me, is exciting because it, that's why they revealed all this, to let everybody know this is the end. They're making no bones about it. This is the end of the saga. It's time for everyone to come home. And I, I haven't heard one fan, when we were immersed in 60,000 fans at one point, say, I'm not excited. That didn't do anything for me. I think it's going to bring everybody home. And I think JJ did it with that one less than two minute teaser.
4: Yeah. There wasn't a lot of, eh, there wasn't really any of that at all. Um, There's definitely, Lou, I'm going to echo what you said. There's definitely that, that lived in feel, that grit of the universe. We saw that with the Mandalorian too, which I know we're going to get to. So I thought that was rewarding. Um, just the excitement, um, with Ray doing that incredible stunt work, doing that backflip over the TIE fighter, set the stage and shows us that, hey, we're about to flip what you know on its ear and bring you something really, really special because this is the end. And Kathleen Kennedy talked about this is a a huge legacy, a monumental undertaking, and they feel prepared for it because they've been planning for such a very long time. Very promising.
3: And when JJ was asked after the panel... He told reporters that he met with a small group of people when they were writing the story. And that's Ryan Johnson, director of The Last Jedi. That's Lawrence Kasdan, the writer of Empire, Return of the Jedi, and The Force Awakens, and Solo. He met with Lawrence Kasdan. uh, And he met with George Lucas to help craft this story, which, to my knowledge, is the first time in the sequel trilogy that George was consulted. Because they sort of threw his ideas out a little bit leading up to Episode 7 and only kept what they deemed necessary This time they have this blank slate and J.J. finds it necessary to come to George Lucas and say, how would you tie this up? If you're not excited by those words alone, then I would say check your pulse because it's time to come home. This is this is very exciting.
4: And she did say the idea of bringing Palpatine back was the impetus for that was back when they were crafting The Force Awakens, too. So this has been
2: brewing for a long time. I am really excited that they consulted George Lucas, and then I remember you mentioned Jar Jar Binks, and so I got a little bit of the shakes, but it's okay. Um, I, I think I think that they will. Um, I don't think that that will will happen again. Um, let's move over to today, day three, uh, really, where um, the Galaxy's Edge panel took place, and this one was really interesting because we've heard a lot about Galaxy's Edge. Disney has been releasing a lot of information and details. I went in not necessarily expecting to see anything new because my feeling was this panel was less for me, and I'll explain what I mean, than it was for the 60,000 other people who were there, meaning those of us who cover the Disney parks very closely and have talked about Galaxy's Edge at length, I did two shows. I did show 546 and 547. Really went into detail in terms of everything at the time you needed to know about Galaxy's Edge. So I wasn't expecting a lot, and I was surprised by how much. After I, I left the panel, how much I really did walk um, away with. There were seven panelists. It was uh, first of all Josh Gad again was the host. I think he did a, he did a uh, Phenomenal job! He was just goofy and funny, and it was Jug Chang and Scott Trowbridge and Matt Martin, who looks like he's five years old. Margaret karrison uh, Asa kalama and Chris Beatty, who you know, especially from um the Disney parks, and and I think one of the things that they wanted to make clear at the very beginning was one. This was this is not going to be a place where you are experiencing the Star Wars movies, much maybe that you do in something like Star Tours. But it's a place for us to begin and live in our own Star Wars story. And more importantly, that that this place, Black Spire Outpost, has not just a history that's associated with the Disney parks, but it does have its place in Star Wars lore and Star Wars canon. So they worked with not just the filmmakers, but you know the publishing teams to ensure that what happens and what we see inside of Galaxy's Edge is very much going to be in alignment. Uh, and one of the things that I personally have been talking about and thinking about is... The level of this experience and and we hear the words uh, immersive all the time it very much is going to be that way on a, a level that we have not seen at all and before we get into the attractions before we get into some of the things that we learned I think the environment is very much going to be the star of this land because it's going to be a place that a first-timer who has never sort of really been deeply immersed in the Star Wars universe can understand what's going on, but it also is going to be a 360-degree, full-five sensory experience. I think they were very deliberate in saying that not just what you see and what you hear, but what you touch and smell and taste are going to be incorporated into this land, and the authenticity level is going to be one that is going to very much satisfy the hardcore Star Wars nerds. Even when we start to talk about the merchandise, it's things that are not made out of, you know, it looks like it's not things that are made at a, at a factory overseas somewhere. They're made by the people that live and inhabit the 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 planet of Batuu and, and in that Black Spire outpost. So talk to me a little bit about your sense of, the environment of Galaxy's Edge and maybe what you took away from the panel. And I think we'll we'll tie into the Galaxy's Edge booth that Disney Parks has on the show floor, which really helped to bring a lot of what we're going to see in literally just a few weeks in Disneyland to a much more real place for those of us who who got to step in it.
3: Well look, if you listen to WDW radio, if you know who Bob Chapek is, then chances are you've known everything that has been released about promotion for Galaxy's Edge. Uh, and that includes myself, and I imagine Dan, uh, especially as a guy who lives in Orlando and goes and looks at the gate every day, and my wife says it's time to go. <laughs> but, you know, I, to me, it's one thing, and, and this was something that you had said to me, Lou, that it's one thing to look at concept art. It's one thing to hear somebody talk about it. It's another thing to sit in the ride vehicle. It's another thing to watch videos on screen and say, this is how we came up with this. This is how we came up with this. And as we came into the panel, my expectations were kind of, you know what? This is 60,000 people. This is a chance for Disney parks to get in front of, you know, 60,000 people at Sour celebration and say, Hey, you may not know some of this stuff. This is why you should come check out galaxy Edge." So those of us who are hardcore Disney parks fans, you know, this is going to be sort of old news, but there was something even about the stuff that we know already, the drone footage, the music, the food, the story, you know, we had um, the author of Black Spires, one of the tie-in novels come by the booth. And I asked her, I said, how do these things happen? She said, they would show me concept art. I say, okay, what's the name of that store? We don't have one yet. I'm putting it in there. I'm going to name it. And so it's, it's every piece of star Wars is going to be in this from the books to the movies, to the comic books. And this idea that you can actually get in your car, get out, walk through gates and you're in, Star Wars, you're on a Star Wars planet. Every, every cast member you look at is in character. There's no 15-minute line to meet Chewbacca and you buy a Star Wars t-shirt and you kind of laugh and popcorn and you're on your way out. To hear them talk about the way that they looked at the details and asked every question imaginable is what blew me away. Because even though I'd seen the concept art, even though I've heard all the panels leading up to this, even though I've read everything there is to read, I listened to those two episodes you did, Lou, I was still, there was just something about the idea that playing with our action figures that going to sleep at night, closing your eyes and, and I was in the next wing. There's something about the fact that this is about to come. that I saw it on video. And I heard these people say every inch and every aspect of this place will be a story and you are going to play a part. That is something that no matter what you think of, of, of Disney and Star Wars merger, this is arguably probably the best thing to come out of it because we've all dreamed about this first time we walked out of the theater and it almost hit me because I thought, you know what, it's it's here. It's time to actually live out our Star Wars story. So, even even the old information that was out, I was still just blown away because you know what, here it is. And that's sort of that's sort of the way I kind of left thinking about it.
4: And Lou, I told you this um, the sec uh, I think right before the episode nine panel that I was the most excited about the Galaxy's Edge panel. Because as as excited as I am, I basically looked at 2019 as three major events for the show. Episode 9, Galaxy's Edge, and Celebration. But Galaxy's Edge is always the thing that I've been the most excited about. I remember four years ago at the D23 Expo, I remember exactly where it was my Kennedy moment, but in a much better way. (laughs) I remember hearing that they're going to open up these theme parks. I was sitting on my couch upstairs watching uh, stuff on Twitter. And it was announced, and I actually wept. And I'm not somebody that gets all choked up about that kind of stuff, but it hit me so hard because as a kid, I wanted to work at Disney World. I ended up fulfilling that by doing three different college programs in in college. And I always thought, in one day, only one day, Lou, they came to me and they said, Hey, um, I hate to tell you this, we're going to have to leave your location. You're gonna have, we're going to have to move you to a different place. And I said, Well, where am I going to work? And they said, How about indoor vendor? Is that okay? <laughs> yes, it is. In fact, I remember walking around talking to all the people in the stock room saying, hey, if anybody has any stars questions, just send them my way. And they looked at me like, kid, I've been here for a thousand years. I, talking about? <laughs> uh, I just couldn't wait. So knowing that this is going to happen uh, like you, run, I, I, I salivated over or lose WDW radio episodes of Galaxy's Edge in the preview. I had Clayton Sandell from ABC News on. And he was on for two shows because he did the construction tour walkthrough, told us all about the exciting things, the food, the lightsabers that you can create, going through the Falcon, going through some of the the, the Rise of the Resistance building, and just thinking, there's going to be nothing better than this. I'm going to be able to hold my son's hand and walk around the corner, and I'm going to be able to show him the authentic official scale of the Millennium Falcon as determined by Lucasfilm and Disney. And I can't think of anything better than that. So while the, the the new stuff was was sparsely distributed, because they've already given us a lot anyway, anything that they gave us was great. I mean, knowing that Frank Oz is going to be Yoda, that's phenomenal. And as a side note, Matt Martin is actually a, a, a buddy of mine. I've known him since 2014 when I started writing for StarWars.com. And to see him get all that crap from Josh Gad, he <laughs> laughed so hard I about peed my pants. And actually, I talked to him about that. <laughs> it's just so funny because Matt's a fun guy. Matt's up there if, for people to know because he's a part of the story group, the Lucasfilm uh, brands that make sure that the, the books, the movies, the cartoons, the video games, the theme parks, that they all work together and they stay on target, so to speak. And that's, so that's why Matt was there and it's clearly fun. It's fun for the creators. Trowbridge had a great time with it. Uh, Whenever you hear celebrities talking about that, they have been in galaxy's edge. um, It's something real, something palpable and in the five senses you talked about. It's going to bring us to a place we never dreamed possible. And now it's actually a reality.
2: Yeah. It's you know, and it's funny because as I first sort of left the panel, and, and, and I saw this a lot too. I, I, was, I was live tweeting a, a lot of what was going on and, and they were streaming a lot too. Um, for a lot of people, they said, oh, well, the only takeaway is that there's going to be Coke in Galaxy's Edge. And I'm like, yeah. And then as I started to digest and decompress a little bit more, I, I started to pull out a lot of things that maybe people glossed over, but that I think are important. But I think actually both of you guys made a point uh we were talking and joking about the the coke products and more importantly the coke packaging being in what looks like thermal detonators um Mm -hmm. written in arabesh and all of a sudden we were saying like wow these coke products are now going to be you know they're collectibles or things that you want to get but you both made the point that and i didn't think about this until you said it we talk about how when you enter Galaxy's Edge, you are creating a unique story, and we'll get to how the things that you do and the things that you don't do, the, the actions that you take are going to dictate what your experience is going to be, maybe what side you're going to support, but... When we walk into Pandora, we're meant to feel that same way. You're transported X amount of millions of light years to another planet. But when you go into Satuli Canteen, yes, there's a story of what this building used to be. But it just—it's natural just to get your cup and go fill it up at the Coke machine with Coke products. That's going to be different here. Like they realize that no, you really are on Batu, and there's no Coke machines on Batu, and it's as simple and for a lot of people it was almost a laughable throwaway but i'm like you're right it's important in the fact that they realize that if we are going to suspend this disbelief it has to be in every single aspect including how and where you get your beverages
3: yeah that's that was the point that i said and i think i said to you i said who thinks of that because we sort of give them this little bit of leeway when you go into pandora you say, yeah, I'll take the steak bowl, right? It's, you still say steak, and you say, yeah, give me a Coke, right? You sort of give them a certain amount of leeway where you say, well, there's certain things you just you have to leave earth-like. You have to say, well, there's only so much that you can do, and the theming is so great at Pandora. You say, you know what? It doesn't even take me out of it when I just get a Sprite. But for them to come out and say, no, we thought of literally everything. I said, who thinks of soda? That was the last thing on my mind was how are they going to serve soda? You know, they've released names of, of some of the food, like kadu ribs and, and blue milk and green milk and some of the alcoholic beverages and some of the way that they're going to appear to be cooking it with a pod racer engine. They're leaving all of the food in-universe, but I was I was willing to give them the soda. I was willing to say, you know what? On that one, I get you. We're still technically on Earth, so I'll kind of look the other way when I, when I push the Coke button. But for them to think of literally everything and then make Coca-Cola in-universe, to me, if, if you're not, if that's not exciting to you, that's surprising to me because that's Disney saying, you may think we have innovated all the way possible. We're innovating all the way to the way that we serve soda. And to me, it means the Imagineers and the folks at Lucasfilm, just as passionate as we are, if not more about this, because they're thinking of things that we, I mean, I, I promise you, I've not once thought about how the soda will be served at Galaxy <laughs> Z. So to me, it was actually way more exciting than some other people may have thought because i'm like they have literally thought of everything i'd like to see the way the napkins look now because i now i'm thinking how does the bathroom gonna come like what what are we what are we doing here like i want to <laughs> know how the sinks are gonna work i'm starting to think what else have i not thought about and i'm running around thinking all right you know wh- how is this gonna go so to me the soda was actually one of the most exciting parts because i said there's more to come because we thought that was it like, even the soda is in in universe
4: I tell you, uh, not since Harry Carey's optometrist have I been this excited about Coke bottles. (laughs) I think it's going to be great. I mean, it's just fun. I mean, look. Let's be honest. Let's be practical. You have to pay for Galaxy's Edge. This thing isn't cheap. Um, And Disney gets their Coke products for next to nothing. And it's all about the collectibles. I mean, we talked about this after the panel, but these are Star Wars is one of the biggest things about Star Wars and how we ingest our Star Wars. Is through collectibles. I mean, Rancho Obi-Wan, the world's largest collection of Star Wars memorabilia, I guarantee you Steve we is going to have all these things There are the water bottles written in Orabesh. My goodness, they gave us all red Coca-Cola T-shirts that said Coca-Cola in Orabesh, which is an amazing collectible. It's fun. Now, when I'm thirsty and I'm in the California or Florida sun, I don't want to go on a tr- need a treasure map to get a Coke, but you know what? They're going to make it Palpable. They're going to make it real. They're going to include verisimility, that semblance of truth that makes you feel like you're somewhere that you actually aren't. And that's fun. I mean, that little bit of familiarity is going to be something that's kind of welcoming for people, even if it's something as little as a Coke bottle. I think that's kind of fascinating culturally.
3: Well, look, Walt's original vision for Disneyland was that when you went there, the rest of the world didn't exist. And as he's going on one of the rides and he sees the interstate or the highways or the freeway, he says, OK, this isn't working. So then you go to Disney World and there is an aspect to Walt Disney World that as soon as you get on property, the rest of the world does not exist. But the rest of the world does exist. You still do everyday operations in every aspect of the park. But there is something to Walt Disney World where you say you feel like you've been transported to a different world. Um, even as a local, when I go there now, I'm still like, yes, I, I, as soon as I cross that bridge, it feels like I go through some sort of portal and I'm in Magic Land. But now they've taken that even one step further where you literally, as you walk into Galaxy's Edge, if you stay there until they throw you out, which I will do, (laughs) then to me, it says that you literally will not, you will feel no matter where you're looking, no matter where you're smelling, no matter where you're listening, no matter where you are in Galaxy's Edge, the rest of the world does not exist. You will not see regular cars. You will not see any of these things. And that to me says that that the Imagineers and the people at Disney and Lucasfilm took Walt's original vision and they're going to use it for Star Wars, which is a bonus for me. I'll gladly take that. But to me, that as a, as a lifelong Disney parks fan, just listening to that panel was like sweet music to my ears because I thought, you know what? We're still taking it one step farther.
2: Well, and for me, it, it, it and, and we, I think we should actually just sort of transition to talk about the food because I think, the food and, and what you're going to be eating there is going to be part of the story. And it made me think of one of my favorite quotes. It's a, it's a Michael Eisnerism, which is everything speaks, right? Every little detail, and I think it goes back to a, a Walt philosophy, every single thing speaks. So even, so you mentioned before about, you know, what you're going to be eating. You're not going to buy chicken nuggets when you get there, right? You're going to buy tip which is this bird that was in, You know, my my relative, the Ewoks village on Endor, you know, the milk isn't thankfully milk is a bad idea in the summer. Um, It's it's not going to be milk. It's going to be this plant based dairy. It's going to be like a a rice milk, which also for for those who um, are, are lactose intolerant, it's going to be this soft frozen smoothie like Milkshake thing, and it touches to the Star Wars, you know, uh, um, sentiment with the blue milk, and it's also going to be green milk, um, which is from Last Jedi, which is going to be, I guess, a, more of a a citrus flavor. But they even talked a little bit about some of the type of of foods that you are going to have. So you are going to get, you know, the this this Ronto. Meat is going to be this, it is going to be somewhat of a mystery meat because we don't have Ronto here, but it's not, you're not going to be getting, you know, hamburgers and chicken nuggets that are just sort of disguised and and given a different name. They're really given a little bit of a story in terms of what you're going to be eating and more importantly, I think, the environment and the stories in each of these different locations. So at, at Ogo's Cantina, you are going to be able to get that blue milk and and a blue bantha but you're also going to get and I think this is where a lot of people got excited too you're also going to get um stories and storytelling and maybe as a quick aside from the food you know Rex is back baby we were talking you know uh we were talking about RX24 from Star Tours and uh, and Rex is back and they've even given him you know a, a story too about how he got out of Star Tours and, and how he got there. And I love that they allow you to peel back the layers. There's no onions there. So peel back the layers of whatever sort of foreign, you know, space food you can to uh, to to dig into the stories about everything that you see and everything that you taste.
3: Yeah, I, I just, you know, I, our booth was right by the Galaxy's Edge booth. So luckily I was literally staring at, at Black Spire's all five days, and I kept going over there before the show floor opened. And the Disney employees finally had to say, "Sir, you've already had your picture made ten <laughs> times in *The Rise of the Resistance*. You know, we understand you're excited, but just walking around in the merchandise and I, word on the street—and I'm not not entirely sure how true this is—but they say there's another park in Orlando, and there's an aspect there where you get to make something. Uh, you know, and it's sort of a story. You go to somebody's shop and the guy does this and that and that, which is a cool idea. But then when they say we're going to kind of do that, but we're going to take it to the next level and you're going to make your own lightsaber. You're going to go to this guy's shop who makes lightsabers. You're going to make your own custom one of a kind high end lightsaber. If that was Galaxy's Edge alone, then they've got my money. OK, that that's <laughs> but like you said, there's just something about every aspect of it. But the merchandise was in universe. You got to you got to look at the merchandise at the booth. I spent so much time there throughout the weekend because there was something about every part of it where you knew it was in universe and, you know, the, the making your own lightsaber and all of that kind of stuff. There's a story to even the merchandise to these stuffed animals that are there. There's a reason why they're there. And everything speaks. Like you said, Lou, there is a story to literally every part. And once they (coughs) said the lightsaber thing, I was ecstatic. I not believe they even put a story to that. It wasn't just, gift shop and so i think they have thought of everything in that i i can i could go probably two more hours on just what i'm excited <laughs> about seeing in the booth
4: the do you want to talk lou about the um, galaxy's edge presence actually at celebration
2: yeah i mean let's sort of tie it all into to the 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 presentation as well as what we saw um, on that just very quickly before we because I do want to sort of certainly talk about the merchandise that we saw and I loved how it varied each day, as well as what it was like to sit in that, that rise of the rise of the resistance vehicle but I, we you know we did get a little more about some of the food, we understand what some of the things that we see in the concept art needs. So, so for example, we were talking about the, the Ronto before. You know, Ronto, Ronto's Roasters, Ronto is actually meant to be an abbreviation of the word Brontosaurus and how that food is going to be cooked um, um, underneath an old uh, pod racing engine. And I, there was something... I, we don't. I don't think we see that level of immersion and storytelling anywhere else. And uh, we didn't see any of the food at the Galaxy's Edge booth. But one of the things that we did see specifically, first of all, we saw a little bit of what I we kind of felt that those the walls and the environment would look like. But there was the Resistance there, uh, the the Rise of Resistance vehicle there, and obviously, I certainly want to talk about the merchandise as well. I
4: mean, the uh, sure the. The interesting thing about the way that was set up too is that you know you go by Doc Ondor, which is the authorian uh, which is a hammerhead for those of you who are, are as much of a Star Wars clown as I am. Um his his head, uh, there's a little different things you could do. Really the selling point for me to get there, I wanted to get a peek at the merchandise, of course, but I also wanted to see um what you could do with your memories at the end of that. But but as far as the merchandise goes itself, it was a number of the BB units and R2 units of different colors that were there for you because you can eventually build these these things and you can create them with their own little personalities. And if the droid is a member of the Resistance, it's going to feel comfortable when it's on the Resistance base, but when there's something first order nearby or if you're in first order territory, the droid is going to be nervous. It's going to be uh, scared. And they sell backpacks that you can put the droids in so when you're walking around, you can carry these things with you. I mean, this is just printing money, just talking about it right now because <laughs> there's just, you know, you know, and I think Lou, you said on, on one of your shows, they need, we need to come up with a synonym for immersion because it really is uh, something that they're creating so beautifully. And they were, and they were talking about it, kind of the process of that and how it goes, goes to creation. They even had a BB unit when I was there, it was the black one, looked kind of like BB 9E. And they were driving it around so you could see sort of how it works and the fact that it isn't just some cute little toy that's attached to a core, but it's actually a fully functioning BB unit. that is like our giant remote control that you get to personalize. And that personality, uh, the personification of this is, again, when we talked about how you are telling your own story in the Star Wars saga, because as we've said, or they've said many times, look, you could put Tatooine there or Hoth or Dagobah, But that's Luke's story. That's somebody else's story. This is your story. You're creating your own droid that's going to accompany you on this adventure. And it really does foster just this this unbelievable practical idea that you're in Star Wars.
2: Well, and and when we say create your own droid, if you remember sort of the droid factory from the the, the Tatooine Traders, it's not – your it's not your grandfathers or your dads you know little action figures that you put together these are probably 12 to 14 inches tall you choose yeah. a basic r unit like an r2 or an r5 unit or a bb unit that that ball droid style and you really customize every single aspect and if you go back to my live video on Facebook, you can see I sort of walk you through some of the different models that you can choose from, and almost sort of conveyor belt style is the way they they described it. You'll walk along and pick up the pieces to build your droid, whatever colors and mix and match, and there's accessories and stickers that you could get as well. And you also, this, the thing that was very interesting about this was this personality chip that you can buy. And and an actor, you, you you buy this personality chip um, based on a number of different factors that you can you can select from, and you go to an activation center where this robot kind of of comes to life, and you can add all these things to it. But one of the things, and, and I don't know if you guys talk to them uh, at all, they they were very specific saying that this personality chip and the things that this droid does is also going to interact not just with the citizens of Batu, but with the environment as well. So if it's a Resistance droid or a First Order droid, the personality chip you put into it, there will be, we have to assume, Bluetooth or RFID or some other types of touch points throughout the land. You are not just going to be interacting with the land and the characters, but your, your droid unit will as well.
3: Yeah, that was one of the things that... I gathered from both the panel and from talking to them about the droid. Cause you know, I did spend some time talking to them was that every part that you see, it's not just the citizens. It's not just the doc ondar It's not just the attractions. It is literally the rocks and the trees and everything has a way to interact with your story. So like you said, when you walk by a certain point and you may be in resistance territory, you have a first order droid, the droid is going to act different. Even, even, they, they mentioned the Disney Parks Play app, which uh, is something that they're going to integrate into this. And every Arabish writing you see, you may think there's no reason for this, except where you open the app, there's a translator. So what I gathered was that it's not just the citizens. It's not just the shops. It's not just the characters you run into. It's the rocks and the trees. And uh, I, they even talked about at one point, what does Star Wars smell like? Because no one's ever smelled Star Wars before. <laughs> And so, again, they're thinking of literally everything. And the droid is something that, as you're walking, you're not even expecting it. And your droid may start bugging out for some reason. And you've got to understand where you are and your story develops. And even, like I said, it, it also will work for you, from what I gathered, was that, you know, how you interact and how you do things, including piloting the Millennium Falcon, will have the citizens and the people act differently towards you because they're, they're seeing what you're doing throughout your story. So the droid part was really awesome in the idea that you can translate the words on the walls and there are, different things you can activate with the app. I thought it's just literally every inch, the rocks, the trees, the smells, the voices, the sounds, it all, it all comes into one story so that even if you're not waiting in line for an attraction or you're eating or it, as you're looking around, things are going to be changing as you walk around and as your story changes, depending on the droid you have and the way that you act. That means to me, it's it's 365 degrees of immersion. Like I don't think we've ever seen on planet Earth, which is sort of a nuts thing to think about. You have to stay on your toes and you have to just – you're literally in a Star Wars film. You're literally on a Star Wars planet just like we've always imagined. So I thought the coolest part was the rocks and the trees and the interaction with the environment. And that's, that's that's even more exciting to me.
2: Yeah, and I want to talk about the the app specifically because that was something, at least for me, that was new. But just very quickly sort of touching back on the merchandise because I love the fact that the the booth – change the merchandise and sort of the the different vendors that you'd be purchasing it from every single day. And again, we talked about how everything is is part of the story and and in character. So when you go to the creature stall, and we saw probably seven to ten different type of little creatures that you can buy, you're not buying a, a toy, you're not meant to be buying a plush, you're meant to be buying a pet. So they had a little baby tauntaun that makes noises and it coos and squawks, and they had, you know, those ugly, you know, rathars and wart frogs and uh, puffer pigs and uh, larger sort of versions that um, that 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 move and make noise and are, I think, to a certain degree, will have more than just um they're not just cuddly they're going to they're going to do things um as well we saw that at black spire outf- outpost you can get jedi or sith or resistance or whatever first order uh, costumes and one of the things that that really struck me was when i first walked into the booth i thought the costumes were props i thought they were meant to just sort of be displays as opposed to being what you were able to purchase. And the takeaways for me for the costumes was one, just how screen ready. They all looked like two, how the costumes were going to be available, not just for kids, but for adults as well. So whether you want to be a Kylo Ren or a Jedi or something in between, there was a costume for you. We'll talk about the lightsabers and the ability to, to build your own lightsaber. Uh, one question I could not get a specific answer to as yet. I think we'll know as we get closer is can you buy a costume there and wear it through the park? Because there are costume policies. I was referred to the the Disney website. I don't know how that potentially might change, but the quality of the costumes was remarkable to me. So if you want to go sort of full blown immersed in the story, I want to dress like a Jedi, you can do it. But they also on the other side of the spectrum had merchandise and logo gear that you could put on that literally was not sort of blasted with Star Wars across the chest, but it might have a subtle rebel symbol. It might have a subtle symbol that only another Star Wars fan would get. So it was not sort of um, uh, a huge sort of, um, you know, almost whimsical type of logo emblazoned on your chest. It was just enough of a subtle nod to show that you're a star Wars fan. And I love that the merchandise in terms of costuming, um, uh, was available along such a wide
4: spectrum. So they, they have star Wars for, for your beverages. They have star Wars for your kids. Uh, you can create, create little pets, uh, I was really surprised and kind of happily surprised or, to see that there's Galaxy's Edge, the flamethrower. So that's nice. <laughs> and uh, the fact that you, that, you know, <laughs> exactly. So then you've got the ability to become a resistance pilot or, you know, take on, be a part of the first order. The fact that that is, for some reason, I feel like someone had told me that they're okay with you dressing like maybe it's this community for the star Wars hotel, perhaps. I don't know. I know there's no official word on that as of yet. The fact that you get to be immersed in a way that you are, you get to look the part. You don't get to just feel like you're there or have, you know, like you said, a baby tauntaun or something like that, but you can be a part of this world in such a way that you're, you're dressing the part. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I cannot wait to get my hands on one of those X wing costumes for sure.
3: To me, this was the way that we mentioned before that they want you to feel every aspect of Galaxy's Edge like you are on Batu. that there is nothing here that says you are technically still on Earth. And one of the reasons I, I thought was interesting was, well, the fellow visitors of Walt Disney World and Disneyland will still be wearing Earth clothes. How do they get around that? And how do you sort of even bring the guests of Walt Disney World and Disneyland into the fun on that aspect so that when an eight-year-old kid is walking around with his mom or his dad or his sister, you look around and there's Jedi. You look around and you see this subtle rebel symbol, and you said, Oh, this guy right here, he's with the rebellion, he's with the resistance. It's sort of a way to me to bring in the guest in the fun to say, You're gonna you're a character, so we're gonna give you the chance to dress the part so that you you can still live out your dream to the fullest extent. Who doesn't wanna dress like a Jedi? Who doesn't want to dress like a bad guy? That's what you're into. And to me, you can get the lightsaber and you can get the robes. You can get the the blaster or you can get whatever they end up offering for the bad guys. And as you look around, it's not just the cast members, but it's the fellow guests. And you're looking around and you're kind of if you've sort of had a bad guy experience the entire time you're there, everyone's treating you sort of like a first order. You might look at Steve from Wisconsin over there who's dressed as a <laughs> resistance fighter. And now even the guests are in on the fun where you say, well, I got to stay away from that guy he is with the resistance to me it's, it's a way to say the guest can also come in on the fun and you can fully flesh out your character from top
4: to bottom and that's exciting is this I agree. the same steve as the uncle steve you mentioned earlier yeah i, I need
3: a different name <laughs> and this steve's not as smelly though so we we'll give him a break <laughs> cuz he, he got new he got new clothes so we're good
2: and look you mentioned the 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 lightsaber which i think is going to be a huge draw for people because These are not your grandfather's lightsabers, meaning this is not the one you got from Toys R Us or you made out of a wrapping paper tube and beat your younger brother with. Not that I'm saying that I did that, but I did that a lot Um, at Savi's lightsabers, which, by the way, they translated the Arabesh outside and it's Savi and son salvage, which... I I know I'm dating myself. I have to believe is a reference to Sanford and Son because be. it's just way too close. Um Red Fox, right? But the um the, the story behind again every store and every every uh, proprietor has a story, but this this idea of being able to craft a lightsaber, a more elegant weapon for a civilized... <laughs> they're beautiful i mean they're not plastic they look like they are metal and from what i understand you'll sign up for a build session and then you'll choose from all these different parts that they say are sort of you know unique to your own personality so much like the the blade builder that you can buy at in, in um hollywood studios or in, in disney springs this is something you're only gonna well, to a point all the merchandise is only stuff you can get at Galaxy's Edge. You are not going to find this anywhere else. It's only going to be here. But these lightsabers, which again look screen ready, display ready. I'm. We're. I don't know if they've announced the price. I'm. I would imagine that they would probably be around a hundred dollars or so. But you really assemble every single part of it, and you can even buy the the. I think the hilt is going to be a little bit more. But you choose. Um, you know, your crystal, you choose your color and it really is going to be something that is, is unique to you.
3: Yeah. That's the thing that I am. And another thing about galaxy's edge learning that, that some of the merchandise you have, you're going to build with your own hands. I have a three-year-old son and the idea that I can want take my son in a few years and we can do something with our hands because Disney has started heading toward interactivity. So all the cues now they're starting to have things to look at and things to do because Kids, I'm starting to learn, and I know some of you listening said, kids, you're 26, you're a kid. Um, I get it, but kids nowadays, it seems, have to be stimulated 24-7, and it's digital, and it's screens, and all these things. The idea that I can take my son, and we use our hands, and together, we build the lightsaber, and I hand it to him. The idea that we go to the droid factory, and pick off pieces, and we start to customize me, it's those experiences that will be memories that last a lifetime as, as opposed to walking up to a shelf, seeing a green lightsaber and putting it in, in and taking it home and saying, yes, there's something about the things that you build here with your own hands together as family that to me says that it's going to be something that memories that last a lifetime. It's merchandise, but merchandise with a story. It's merchandise, but merchandise with a touch. And I mean, that says, you know, merchandise is there to make money. There is Disney doesn't pretend like merchandise isn't there to make money. But to me, there's a story to it. It seems like they're putting extra care into the merchandise and the idea that I can build something with my hands, with my son next to me, and we build our own lightsaber and we look at that lightsaber at home and say, we built that together. It's families. It's, 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 it's just memories that will last a lifetime, even all the way down to the merchandise with the story.
4: As a recovering Star Wars completist, this is the part <laughs> that both excites and frightens me because I know that I'm going to want to get, got to catch them all, right? Or is that a different franchise? <laughs> there's those that you can get different Kyber crystals that, co- you know, coincide with the colors in the Star Wars universe that have canonical lightsabers that have been used on screen, purple, blue, green, and red. And you can, I think there's what, four hilts to choose from. Is that right, Lou? I think so. I think so. Um, and Clayton Sandel, who I mentioned earlier, he is, he's held one of these things and he said, they're heavy. They're, they're legitimately heavy. There's, there's, you know, there's some, there's some weight there. And the, like you said, this isn't your grandfather or grandmother's lightsaber. This is a whole new world. Boy, a lot of, a lot of mix. <laughs> a lot of crossover. <laughs> That's right. And so it's, it is, it is exciting in, in the interactivity again, takes it to another level. This is nice too, because not only can you bring your droids home, so you can bring a part of Galaxy's Edge home that is still interactive and fun, but with the lightsabers, you can play with your kids. You know, you mentioned you have a three-year-old. I have a five-year-old, and as soon as the Galaxy's Edge news came out a couple of weeks ago or about a month ago, that's all he's been talking about, the fact that, you know, which one are you going to build, Daddy? I said, I don't know. I wonder how I'll feel when I get there that day. And you have to schedule these, you know, very reminiscent of what goes on in the wizarding world but again this one goes to 11
2: yeah yeah and look there was a ton of merchandise that we saw um uh, look the four billion dollars that they spent they're going to make back on opening day because bring your checkbooks just, just from the merchandise alone um and again without going into every single one if you go back and watch uh any of the videos that i did i tried to cover as much as i could because there's everything from, you know, card games you've seen on screen to did you notice the um, some of the little sets of the the droid sets and the droids change color based on the temperature and and the difference sort or of, I mean it's crazy how much stuff I wanted to walk away with. Um, there's holocron cubes and even the little toydarian toy maker and these sort of toys that look like they were made from local artisans um it, it i was remarkably impressed and excited and think i need to get a second job to be able to uh buy all the things i mean look even the little rex right the little so there's some of the droids like there you can buy dj rex who is going to move and he's going to articulate and he's going to play sounds and music and he's also a bluetooth speaker like how many yeah it's I'm I'm both excited and frightened for what what uh, Black Spire Outpost um, is going to cost me, and, and I want to actually save. I, I want to move on, but I want to save the Disney Parks Play Expansion for last because that was the thing that that really has me excited. I want to very quickly touch on the attractions we were able to sit in that rise of the resistance vehicle, which has a whole different feel when you sit in it, as opposed to just seeing it on video. But one of the things that, that really intrigued me was uh, millennium Falcon smugglers run, right? We've known about Jim Cummings doing the voice and, and how this is going to be a story that begins, not when you sit in the attraction vehicle, but when you, when it, when you actually see it and it, and it begins outside. But what, I think is unique about this as opposed to something like mission space where you can click and press all the buttons and switches and it's not going to matter. You're going to be fine and your ship is not going to fall off the side of the cliff where they decided to build a landing strip for some reason. However, <laughs> what you do absolutely out affects your outcome and experience in the attraction, in the land. And I think in the hotel and possibly with, with, cast members as well so the pilots are going to be able to maneuver the ship and and you know try and dodge obstacles or run into obstacles and asteroids the gunners will actually be able to use the ship's blasters to defend the ship or get some of those things out of the way and the engineer has to make repairs along the way and if not if you don't do all those things what you as collectively and individually do will determine what happens on your your ride journey but even when it's over right they showed you sort of that that exit tunnel which is very familiar from the interior of the Falcon the hallway and I don't know how they're going to do this and I don't even think I want to know what you see in that hallway is going to be based on how well you you performed on your mission so if everything's fine it'll be clean and look pristine if not it'll be in a very different state of disrepair and maybe have blaster marks. Again, it's not something that we've ever seen before or needed to be there. But once you see that, man, I don't know why that got me super excited. And again, the the rewritability factor is 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 blown up exponentially.
3: Well, that's the thing that I was actually most <clears throat> shocked from the panel was that you mentioned the Star Tours documentary at the beginning of the episode, Lou. You know, I, as somebody who has heard the word Star Tours four hundred and fifty million times in the last <laughs> four or five months, I thought, you know what? They haven't said much about Smuggler's Run, and to me, it's I think I thought it was a question that Disney was asking. It's a wonderful if it was Star Tours with the Millennium Falcon, but this time you can push buttons when they light up, and you can tell. Little Susie to hurry, push the red button, push the red button, and everybody gets excited. But the ride is the same no matter what.
2: I can't wait for all the family arguments, like yelling at your kid for not hitting the button.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you really will take the adventure home in that case. But (laughs) to me, I thought the idea that if you're the pilot, if you have your hands on the control and you go left, the vehicle goes left. The Millennium Falcon goes left. If you crash into a Star Destroyer, you crash into a Star Destroyer. Star Tours is very programmed. As soon as you see Hoth, it's the same thing that happens every single time. Like you said with Mission Space, cover your ears, little kids, you're not actually piloting Mission Space. But for this, to me, the technology and the idea that as you push buttons and as you do things, it does affect it. It's like Star Tours, if it was self-aware, if it was able to adapt within a second's notice. So I hope that some of the little kids – are going to have fun piloting. And I will not eat the kadu ribs until after smugglers run in case we go left and right and left and right, you know, cause some of these kids have never driven before. So that'll be a fun little stomach exercise, but it's, it's exciting to me that the technology for this, cause they've said rise of the resistance can be like anything you've ever heard of or waiting to open it. This is going to change everything. They had the, 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 the ride vehicle at the booth. It, it's rise of the resistance, rise of the resistance. And then they talk about it for the first time in depth and Hondo's there and he's explaining the story to you and you, And what you do really does matter in a way that I don't think has ever been done. And I think we should have been talking about this a long time ago because as soon as I heard that, not only piloting the Millennium Falcon is good enough right there, but you actually pilot the Millennium Falcon and every button you push matters. The technology there is unreal. It's to a a different level. And I I honestly am like, you know what, rise the resistance, get here when you get here because I'm going to try to ride this as many possible times until we get to the second attraction.
4: Well, unless you, uh, in the 70s and 80s, went to Elstree or or been to Pinewood Studios, this is the closest you're going to get to actually piloting the Millennium Falcon. I mean, it's going to be so authentic and realistic just walking on and knowing that you get to wait before you're going to actually walk through that famous hallway and get into the cockpit and everyone's going to fight for who's going to be the pilot probably. You get to be in, you know, in like the cabin area, where you know where the Dejarik table is, and and where Han, where Han's table is, where he does some of the behind the scenes stuff. It's all going to be there. And yes, the fact that it's interactive, and then you can either make Han Onako very very happy, or you can make him very very angry because of how you've piloted this thing, and that you hit the deflector shields when you need to, or you punch in the correct coordinates, so you can make the jump to hyperspace. All those things actually matter, and it's going to make you feel something that we've dreamed about our entire lives. I mean, the Falcon is probably my favorite aspect of Star Wars besides lightsabers. This is the thing I'm the most excited about. I know the rise of the resistance is going to be transcendent, but the Falcon has always been the thing for me. So that's going to be the home run for sure. And then knowing too, that like you said, Lou, the rewritability of this thing, the possibilities are endless. You've got six different places. You can sit, the buttons count, they, they matter. They mean something. It's just unprecedented. It really, even saying this out loud,
2: knowing that I'm going to get to pilot, the Millennium Falcon is just mind-blowing. Yeah, and, and I think, and one thing that they were, I talked about them with too, is every aspect of this land, you know, we're, we're nerding out as, as Star Wars fans. And then there might be some people who are listening, who are going to be visiting, who don't know, you know, what the what the heck's an aluminum falcon? They might not know exactly what it is. Um, they they are going to be able to strike a balance so that you don't need to be a Star Wars nerd in order to enjoy and experience and and know what is going on. But that being said, one of the things that appealed to me most, because we talk about immersion and interactivity, and again, I want to take out my thesaurus to find another word for it, you know, going to Disney for years and and seeing how our guest experience changes and and watching how I go with my kids and, and the dynamics of other families, sometimes this thing, and I'm holding up my phone as if you could see it, sometimes this thing it has is as much of a curse as it is a blessing because you'll walk around the parks and see families not talking to each other not looking around not interacting with in 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 the queue but on their phones checking Facebook on TikTok or wherever they you know whatever it is that they're doing what disney has started to do is make your mobile device part of that interactive element, and it is going to be taken to an entirely new level because of what your phone is going to be able to unlock inside Galaxy's Edge. You'll be able to use the Play Disney Parks app, which I believe came out about a year or so ago, to not only learn more about what's going on, but to be part of the story itself. And I'll just very quickly go through some of the ways that they laid out you'll be able to do it. Because you're basically gonna be able to do four different things. Hack, scan, translate, and tune. So in terms of hacking, the the first order um, uploaded and, and installed the surveillance system uh, throughout this outpost. So there's all these different surveillance, surveillance boxes embedded in the walls about around the town so you can use this play Disney Parks app to hack into them by solving puzzles so you can you can deactivate them to help the resistance or you can reactivate them to aid the first order and at some point you know there there will be a, a winner so you're not just playing by yourself or with your group but you're literally playing this overarching game with other people in the land, and I love the gamification of this, and and the fact that it's not just something that you're doing passively. So you can also scan and translate. So there's markers and there's language on the buildings and the containers. So you'll have to decrypt some of these puzzles by solving simple um, simple puzzles. You'll also be able to interact with some of the droids that are going to be rolling around the village. And I don't mean the ones that you're buying in the store, but there will be full-size droids in the village. You'll be able to use the app to interact with them, learn more about what's going on in that world and maybe who might be looking for help. So when we talk about the two attractions in this land, I think that's very much misleading and a misnomer because. The land. As we said at the beginning, the land itself is an attraction. So you're not just translating what's written on the walls, but you're you know in, in Arabesh, but you're able to interact with the droids. And one of the things that I that I like too was this idea of of eavesdropping on some of the broadcasts that are happening, you know, with the First Order and the Resistance and all these weird kind of underworld gangs that are inhabiting the Black Spire outpost so you can read what's happening you can hear what's happening you can interact you can take on different jobs so you mentioned uh, Honda Anaka which by the way the audio animatronic is remarkable he may tell you hey I'm going to transmit schematics for a first order ship and you can re- earn points and rewards by completing these different tasks right so this so there's this outpost control gamification that you can play and and I think that the the important part is one it's something for you to do individually you can do with your friends and family there's this overarching game that's taking place to everybody that's there But, guys, I have to believe that the choices that you make, the success or failure of what you do in the attraction, what you do on this very cool overlay in the app are absolutely going to affect what happens, how you interact with people. And, you know, uh, the conversation about the hotel is a separate one altogether. But... Everything speaks, everything matters. And this Play Disney Parks app is not like playing Angry Birds while you're waiting in the line for Small World.
3: Well, that's the thing. We've talked about how they've thought about the soda, that we thought, talked about how they thought about the food and the way it is appeared to be cooked with a pod racing engine. We talked about the fact, the, the idea that you can get the clothes to match the story and the droid and the lightsaber. But Disney is smart in recognizing you're going to have the phone in your hand, anyways. We cannot change that. That's, that's something that is just today's reality. So if you're going to have it in your hand anyways, why not make that the last aspect of being in Star Wars? So you have this real world thing in your hand that we are all addicted to. We, we I, I'm addicted to my phone. I, I am uh, not afraid to admit that. So instead of Facebook, instead of catching up on the latest episode of WW Radio, you can then open up the Play app. And make it a story in itself. And that, again, is just another level of thinking. Again, that was something that was revealed, revealed at the panel. I said, I, don't even, I didn't even think about that. You know, the fact that everyone has their phone in their hand. Okay, we're going to give you this incentive to say, pretend and, and, and live in the Star Wars world. Don't use the things in the outside world because this is a unique experience. And they have thought of literally everything down to the fact that if you're going to have your phone in your hand, then figure out what that Arabesh says. Uh, translate this, hack this. If you go to Galaxy's Edge and don't even ride either attraction, I think you can spend all day wandering Batu Black Spire Outpost and just learn about the entire environment, which honestly my first time in Galaxy's Edge, I might do because (laughs) uh, there might be a line. I don't know. It's rumors. But I, I think that that in itself says you may not even get on Smuggler's Run or Rise of the Resistance on day one that you attend there. But pull out your phone. Yes. Pull out your phone and continue the story with that.
2: Right. You might not care because you're having so much fun in the land and in the restaurants and in the shops and interacting with, with the environment itself.
4: Well, and in this Fortnite zeitgeist that we live in where gamification is certainly the buzzword. And for a, a real reason, you you've kind of introduced a video game or a game aspect to the Falcon or to galaxy's edge in general. It's, it's actually genius, you know, uh, I have three kids. I have 19, 17, and 5. Oy. So they're very different ranges and very different attention spans. You know, different things will stimulate them. And in Galaxy's Edge, it's not going to matter because you want to check out something that's going on with your phone and interact with what's going on over here. Or maybe they'll be, wouldn't it be amazing if it keeps track of all the times you pilot like a sort of a ship's log with a falcon? And this time this happened. You know, I'm not sure how they're going to quantify or qualified, various degrees of success, but it's all going to be there as a possibility for you. And again, being able to bring that home with you, the app part was a very exciting. That was really kind of probably the biggest reveal at the Galaxy's Edge panel, mm-hmm. just knowing that you've got, in essence, a data pad with you to bring this stuff to you in a whole new level. I mean, it, it's um, it's amazing.
2: Yeah, I, I'm. Um, it, it's funny that an app is one of the things that like you got me most excited. Look, we can, we, there's, there's, while it didn't, while we didn't necessarily think that we learned a lot, we learned a lot from that panel. And, and and certainly um, there were some additional shots of exteriors and interiors that you heard uh, uh, there was a, an audible level of excitement and I think for those fans who maybe were not necessarily tuned into what is going on in the parks, but loved the Star Wars world, they were, they're were they ready to start lining up right now. Now, I, I want to switch gears, go to the final day, um, the final panel that, that I got a chance to see. I left on Sunday although it continued till Monday. Um, admittedly, I did not know what to expect. I was not necessarily as excited for this. But gentlemen, I, I have five words for you. Mandalorian. <laughs> Holy smokes, man. I kid you not. In one day, in one hour, Disney converted tens of thousands of people to Disney Plus subscribers with the utterance of that single word, Mandalorian. Mandalorian. Spoiler alert! By the way, I, I and I shared this on social. I kid you not. I'm taking my glasses off for effect. I have not been as excited for something in the Star Wars world since I was a little kid, knowing that Empire Strikes Back was coming out. I had really not a lot of interest before I saw this and before the panel, but I am so grateful to have been. In that room, as opposed to watching it online, because there was an there was an electricity in that room, not just because there was that sea of Mandalorian helmets that filled the arena <laughs> that were chanting like Mondo before the panel even arrived, but this idea of this first live action Star Wars series ever, um, it did it it brought out something in me that I have not felt since I was a little kid. I was excited when they announced the uh, um, episode one that, that faded relatively quickly after I saw it, but um, it uh, so before we even get into, I, I want to get your guys' reactions, but since you guys are the Star Wars experts, very quickly, for those who don't know, who or what, or what does a Mandalorian taste like? Well... <laughs> Chicken, of course. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, a Mandalorian essentially is this, for those of you who are deep into Star Wars, they're this culture. It's the closest thing to sort of a foreign culture. Uh, it is almost like this this band of brothers. that the, the armor means something. In the sense that I would say almost um, like the knight in shining armor kind of thing. When you see a Mandalorian, there's a bunch of different things to mean to it. But it, it means something. It is it is an armor that is famous. It is a culture That has been explored in things like the Clone Wars uh, and even Rebels uh, to some extent. And they're consistently changing and adding to the Mandalorian canon, I would say. So essentially these guys are a culture that is very distinct and unique, almost like a religion. So if Jedi is a religion, Mandalorian is a religion, except it's based on where you were born in Mandalore. It's armor that means something. When you see a Mandalorian, then you know you know, there's something special about this person, which is why they never revealed his name. It it was always The Mandalorian, and that's for a very reason. So when you hear The Mandalorian, it means something in the Star Wars galaxy even more, I think even more so than Jedi in a way, because if you are deep, deep into Star Wars and you're watching the animated series and you're reading the comics, there is an armor that means something outside of the fact that Boba Fett is cool. Uh, It's a culture. It is a brotherhood it is a religion in some in some
2: right and, and and you said you know for the for the average you know everyday very casual Star Wars fan Boba Fett is the most famous of all the Mandalorians.
4: Yeah, definitely as far as his his armor, um, I, I I don't know if it's more famous in than the in the world than the Jedi because the Jedi have a kind of a a mysticism about them because they faded away for a while, so that all that automatically kind of puts a little bit of mystique in there. Yeah, and in, in, in Clone Wars for sure, but Rebels, Sabine Wren is is one of the characters in Star Wars Rebels, and she's from Mandalore. She's got a, a her family, her clan of Wren is a very, boy, I'm, I'm a huge nerd. I just realized this just now. <laughs> um, they have um, a lot of clout, as the kids say, in their in their world because of, like Ryan said, the community, the brotherhood. Um, they're, they're, they're more, they're not savages, but they are more, I mean, they're very intelligent, but they're also, as we saw in that clip, um, which that clip, by the way, I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about, but they're, they're not afraid to use their fists. They're not afraid to get dirty. Um, and that means something. It's very, it's a very, very sick thing. You really have to think, and this was mentioned in the panel, but you have to think um, Kurosawa and Seven Samurai, Or Clint Eastwood in the Sergio Leone films, that kind of grit, that kind of adrenaline that the Mandalorian appears to
2: give us. And that certainly that you'd notice from that as well, Lou. Yeah. And and so like we said, this is a series that's going to be on Disney Plus. So if you have get ready to, to sign up for it, that takes place about five years after Return of the Jedi. So it's in a time that we really haven't necessarily seen yet. Um, one of the things that that excited me was the fact that Jon Favreau is involved. He is the executive producer and a writer. Uh, I I want I just want to be friends with Jon Favreau. Like I love this man. Who's the wild man now? I love him so very much. And he too. And I think the reason why I'm not alone in my love of Jon Favreau is because of the amount of care that goes into all of the details. He understands the importance of these stories. And to your point, he mentioned, you know, bringing in the same types of things that inspired George Lucas was the Westerns and the samurai films. And and um, I think maybe it was, it was maybe Pedro Pascal who had mentioned this idea of, you know, it being almost a, a Clint Eastwood type of, of character um but we were introduced to um uh dave filoni and and john favreau as well as um uh the actor pedro pascal who i had i've actually never seen an episode of 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 game of thrones before but he is um the mandalorian um uh cara dune is an ex-rebel stormtrooper who is cast by Gina Carano? You might know her from such films as Deadpool. That's the only place I know her. And other heartwarming film. It is. It's it's a film. It's a love story. It really is. <laughs> the place went crazy when Carl Apollo Creed Weathers came out on stage. Um, he is a. He sort of leads this. This guild of bounty hunters. I don't, I don't even think I heard that part because the applause for Carl Weathers was um, was was so high. Now, while most of the panel was live streamed, w- at some point they they stopped, and we were able to see exclusive scenes and a feature in the panel room, um, which was it was the thing that was spectacular for me because again there was that sort of um, grittiness to it we saw um, characters from from the original films there's I'm assuming he's IG-88 and the Kuwakian monkey lizard and lots of little um, easter eggs I I love the fact that they needed more stormtroopers so they didn't make more stormtroopers they went to the 501st like those guys and girls i'm so happy for them because they are so passionate about their love of star wars and to now say you know and they said it there like the armor that they made and the armor that they wear is now screen used so it's such a it's such a beautiful gift for them too
3: well it, for those of you who don't know who dave Filoni is uh, he is the, basically, he's the guy that learned uh, at the feet of George Lucas. He was the director of the Clone Wars, supervising director of the entire series, created Rebels. He created Star Wars Resistance, which is the current animated series uh, for Disney. But he is a guy who, if you know Dave Filoni, you can hear George Lucas when he speaks. Me, I've always said he's a guy that gets Star Wars more than anyone on Earth. And when he starts on a Star Wars spiel, you can't help but sit there and listen. When you when you hear John Favreau, who is an incredible filmmaker and actor, by the way, uh, teaming up with a guy who knows and learned from George Lucas and can bring in all Star Wars lore, understand the mythology part of Star Wars. I was excited from day one. But like you, Lou, you know, especially after seeing the episode nine teaser, I'm thinking, okay, we'll see what happens here. What are they really going to show? Because we talked about this before the panel the day before. And I said, this is really like the introduction to Disney Plus to the world because we have not seen any footage from anything on Disney Plus up until this point. And so entertainment and Disney, the company itself, changes when this panel begins. And what I saw from that panel, what I saw from the footage, what I saw from Carl Weathers, because the thing about Star Wars is the dangerous part of putting well-known, famous actors in there is it takes you out of universe. So Solo, a Star Wars story, Woody Harrelson's in there, He's playing Woody Harrelson in solo Star Wars Story. So, with Carl Weather come in there, I was kind of worried, but the footage I saw there was fantastic. I had zero complaints, it blew it way out of the water. Um, no spoilers, but when he comes out and you see the monkey lizards and you see the security eye from Jabba's Palace and you see stormtroopers, it's like you can clearly tell this is television. This is not a movie. You can tell that by the way it's shot and edited and scored, this is television, but it's in the Star Wars universe. And you're looking at Salacious Crumb's brother being barbecued and you're looking at (laughs) all of the deep cuts for Star Wars and you can tell this is Star Wars. You're looking at the planet and this is the first in the history of Star Wars. A live action television show with a budget like a movie and with two amazing creators coming together with an amazing cast. Even before I saw the footage, I was excited, but once you saw the footage, I feel like everything has changed. I feel like the possibilities are endless. What is the cast and Andor series now going to be like? What I want them to do every character series because what I just saw... Was saga changing, in the fact that Star Wars has come to live action television and it's done in a way. Even just the first seven minutes we saw, it's done in a way that I don't know if I can even explain or put into words what we were looking at.
2: Right. It's a it's a TV you know it, well, TV show. I'm using air quotes because it's it's you know it, it's going to be a Disney Plus show, but it's shot like it's a film. Like I remember when they were talking about the Razor Crest, which is the Mandalorian ship, of how that model of the ship was filmed over and over and again. And it made me think of this is how they filmed it, you know, back in the seventies when they were creating the original star Wars. And that's why it had that similar type of feel to it that I think helped get me as excited as uh, this was the thing I was least excited to see. And it was the thing I was most excited out and when we, when we came out. Oh, the, um,
4: the, the grittiness of it, even the the texture sort of of the film, and it's probably not the best way to describe it as texture, but it looked like something out of the 70s, just kind of the way that it was filmed. Um, the ovation for Carl Weathers I thought was wonderful, who knew Happy Gilmore had such a following <laughs> that that was really, really cool. And it's, by the way, it's IG11, not IG88. It's a similar droid, which Anthony Breslin can got an exclusive interview with Favreau, and he told him that for those of you who care about that sort of thing. But it, it does look like it's um, sometimes, you know, when we found out that Wise and Ben, is it Wise and off Is that how you pronounce the guys from Game of Thrones? Um, when we found out they were going to make a Star Wars uh, trilogy, uh, it was well, they first said it was going to be two movies, but there's been hints that it might be three. Um, people sort of say, oh, good, we're going to get like an R-rated Star Wars. I don't think so. I don't think we're ever going to get an R-rated Star Wars because at its core, Star Wars is still going to be family. But the thing is, Families comes in all shapes and sizes. Some families have older children. And that kind of grittiness, that that realism that The Mandalorian seems to be full of is going to be very much on display. And this is the kind of stuff that you're probably not going to see on a, on a big screen Star Wars film or production. But when you're talking about something that's streaming, that's geared towards a different kind of an audience, at least for this. I mean, we've got Clone Wars for younger audiences or for audiences who may not be into that kind of a thing. This is going to be uh, a bold new turf, and uh, it's cool for me to hear you look at this excited about it because we had talked before the Rise of Skywalker trailer how you've had sort of a, a mixed relationship with some of the newer stuff. So this is bringing you back into the fold, and you're an old school guy like me.
2: Yeah, man. Like this is look, I, I was you know on board with Disney Plus. You know, from the, the very beginning, and, and I was saying earlier how I, I believe that for a lot of people, this is what is going to bring them into the Disney Plus fold. Um, I, I, I think maybe I was talking to, to one of you guys how I think in time history is going to look back on the introduction of Disney Plus as really a game changer in terms of what this means for how content is consumed the Disney fans, we were all bought in. You had us at, you know, the Marvel stuff and the unique content and the back library and everything else. This really is going to be the thing that's going to be, uh, that's going to bring a lot of people in when it starts November 12th, I, I-, I believe. Um, it is one of the, the things, in addition to the Marvel stuff, that I didn't think I was going to be looking forward to and I find myself looking forward to most. Um, there was, and one of the things I one of the reasons why I like Favreau and I like the team that's associated with is you do truly see as as he mentioned and as other people on stage mentioned about him, this is truly something that is done as a labor of love. And I think you know this and Episode Nine and Galaxy's Edge, you know, I have to imagine maybe I'm not the only one that has had a this this weird relationship with Star Wars, but this is going to usher in. An entirely new, um, uh, entirely new time for the franchise itself and people's uh, the our renewing of maybe this is the renewing of my vows with with Star I Wars, how, um, yeah, I in sure. terms of and we're, the fact that we're able to get it on the big screen on our small screens and take it with us and, and binge watch these shows as they start to come out and then step into and live in those worlds in Galaxy's Edge um, really is just, it, it's such a wonderful trifecta. Um, and I really enjoyed not just what I saw, but everything that I did at um, at, at Star Wars Celebration. And again, you know, Galaxy's Edge is going to open May 21st in Disneyland, August 29th in walt disney world there was a lot to take in and we can look we 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 could dive even deeper into all the things that we talked about but of all the things that we saw and all the things that we talked about tonight whether in parks or elsewhere try try and make it one thing but it doesn't have to be what's the, the the one thing after star wars celebration that you find yourself most excited about I thought this was a show where you could have like 15 honorable mentions. <laughs> well, clearly you know me, so that's why I said sort of one, but one with honorable mentions.
3: So watch how I do this. I think the, the Rise pl- of you Skywalker. You were planning for this
2: answer.
4: I like it
3: already. <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker, as I said before, is a homecoming. It's when you watched episode four, the original Star Wars, uh, whatever you want to call it. This is the conclusion to that. This is the conclusion to George's story. So the saga is going to change. So everyone, I think, is coming home for that. Um, So that is what it is. Then you have to start looking to the future. Our celebration is always about celebrating the past with anniversary panels and looking back at things. But some of the biggest draws is the future. And Kathleen Kennedy, the president of Lucasfilm, has said films are on a hiatus for a little while. They're going to take a summit. They're going to talk to the future filmmakers and they're talking about when, what the stories are and when they're going to come out. There's no timetable for that. But there are two series announced for Disney Plus, The Mandalorian and the Cassian Andor series. What I saw from The Mandalorian, as I called it earlier, is saga changing. This is the future of Star Wars. Stories told that maybe eight to ten episodes like The Mandalorian is. And there may be miniseries that come on that are three and four episodes. They may not do an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, but they might do an Obi-Wan Kenobi three-episode miniseries. The future is in Disney+. Plus, and that sound you hear right now is all the other streaming service executives crying. Because it's a great price at $6.99 where they don't price anybody out, no matter how your financial situation is. And I think when I watch The Mandalorian, my wife, I can't pay her to watch Star Wars. But I was watching that first seven minutes, and she's a big Game of Thrones fan, and she watches streaming shows and she's always on Netflix. I think she would give this show a chance because it's not super, super space fantasy hyperspace from what we saw. This can be a very grounded series that is unlike anything we've ever seen. And like I said, I think that's step one. I think that is just what we're looking at when we watch the Mandalorian panel is the future of the star Wars saga. And if that's how you're going to introduce us to the future of the star Wars saga, then you've done well in a way that I don't think words can really describe as to what we saw when we saw those first seven minutes of that episode. It was, it was like galaxy's edge. It was beyond your wildest dreams. It's things you always thought could be possible, but then what you're looking at is, is the impossible becoming reality. And the story I think is going to bring all sorts of new fans in that aren't into the movies that are really more television fans and more, more 12 or 10 episode story fans than a two hour movie where you got to kind of wrap everything up quickly they have announced that they're not dropping it all at once. It's not going to be a bingeable series. It will be week to week, which means Star Wars can be experienced as a community. We're all waiting for Sunday night or whatever night it is because we know the Mandalorian's coming. Everybody's live tweeting and Facebooking and for podcasters, we get to do immediate recap shows or whatever, because it's a way to experience it as a community. It's not, well, some people watch these shows in one day. Well, now we all get to watch it on the same night, even though it's a streaming service. I just think the future of the saga happened at that Mandalorian panel. And I like what I see.
2: I agree. And very quickly, I I agree and I love the fact that it's going to be released incrementally because I think Lost was a better show because it forced you to wait every single week. Walking Dead works well because you've got that, oh my, god I have to wait, you know, however long in between. And you were just, as you mentioned, sort of it being the future of the saga. I I was asked a number of times um, on social and otherwise, who is the Mandalorian for, meaning is it something that is a family friendly thing. Now remember one thing I think that distinguishes Disney Plus from places like Netflix and some of the other services it's very meant very much meant to be and will be a family friendly streaming service as a parent of kids who are currently 15 and 13 I feel based on what I had seen you know even with the fighting and the flamethrowers and things like that maybe i'm a bad parent i would have been comfortable allowing my nine or ten year old son or daughter to watch that with me um obviously you know your mileage may vary and and you you know everybody sort of it, it will do it differently but i didn't think that there was anything in there that i would have felt uncomfortable with my kids seeing and and i like that too that i can see this as something that unlike you know Game of hopefully the kids aren't watching I've never seen Game of Thrones. So I understand not for the kids. But this is something that you guys can watch and share together. Uh I'm not trying to Mangello anybody, but
4: I mine really is really a tie between the Galaxy's Edge and my feelings after seeing the rise of Skywalker. I think I think as far as a Mandalorian goes, I'd say I'm whelmed, not over or underwhelmed, <laughs> but I think it just sort of met what I was going for because it's just Everything I'd heard about it just seemed to sort of fit the bill. I, I really like the exuberance of the cast, all of them. I thought that was great. And Filoni and Fabri you can't go in there. But again, Star Wars has always been a family thing for me. Growing up as a kid, going to the movies with my parents, um, them taking me to get action figures. I had the cool parents that if all the figures were there that I already had, they'd let me get an extra stormtrooper or, or one of the sand people so I could build my little army. And then I have my kids, and with the older kids, we watch the Clone Wars, and they get older. We still go see the movies together. And then with my youngest, Mason, we get to go, we watch Star Wars Rebels, or Forces of Destiny, or play with the figures. And now I get to take my entire family and ride the Millennium Falcon. And there's really not a more lovely sentence than that when it comes to Star Wars, because it's about family for me. I don't see a lot of hope in The Mandalorian, just on that small eight-minute segment that we've seen. But there's nothing but hope when it comes to Galaxy's Edge, because you're going to get to get experience and live it through all ages, through all colors, through all shapes and sizes. Star Wars is for everyone, and Galaxy's Edge is proving that.
3: Well, you older uh, gentlemen, no offense, uh, can remember a time in which if I you hope could you look
4: as good as us when you're our
2: age.
3: <laughs> well, I will say you do both look very handsome. But that's a side note. Um what I'll say is that Star Wars, back in those early days, you would look for literally anything. You would go to the store and just hope to see the words Star Wars. And that was an adventure in itself. The idea now is that what Lucasfilm and Disney have come together for, and what I gathered from Star Wars Celebration, was that no matter how old you are, what gender you are, how your family situation is, or what you're into, there is something for you in the Star Wars universe. If you're into something like The Mandalorian, a very Clint Eastwood grounded, personal series that you can watch on Disney+. Plus. There you go. Two panels we haven't really very mentioned very much is the Clone Wars uh, Season 7, which is coming to Disney+. Star Wars Resistance, which is the youngest skewed material in the history of Star Wars. Star Wars Resistance, the creators have said themselves, this is for younger kids, kids that we've never even really tried to get before. You're talking four to five to six years old. My son loves Star Wars Resistance. He's three years old. If you're into video games, Jedi Fallen Order was revealed this time. It's a video game, it's a very it's a first-person story that is canon and part of the story that's never been done before. But if you're into video games, if you're into theme parks, if you're not a Star Wars fan, but you're a Disney Parks fan, who doesn't want to just go see what Galaxy Galaxies is all about? For the first time in the history of the Star Wars saga, there's something for you, and you can pick and choose and either consume it all, like Dan and I are going to, it's kind of what we do. Or you can say I'm just into the Mandalorian. My my kids are into the Clone Wars. Or I'm a Disney Parks fan. I've never even seen a Star Wars movie, but as I listen to you guys talk about it, I've got to see what that's all about. And that is what I took away from Star Wars Celebration: is that all ages, all genders, and all interests are going to be touched here without, I think, oversaturation. If that's possible, I think they have struck a balance here that I've never felt better for the future of Star Wars. Because it doesn't matter if you're three or 83 there's somewhere for you to live in this world.
2: Or 103 like me and (laughs) Lou.
3: Oh, you said it, not me.
2: I think you guys are 100% right. My takeaway from from Celebration was I I love what Disney and Lucasfilm collectively have done in terms of molding this this franchise and, and this world to being something that you're right there there is an entry point for somebody there is an interest point that will hopefully bring somebody into this world and as a parent i look forward to being able to share with my kids not just telling them stories about me playing you know star wars in my basement but then wanting to do it whether it's you know young girls wanting to you know uh uh you know her universe merchandise and and Ahsoka Tano or nerding out over whatever it is. Look for me, my my one takeaway, literally and figuratively. And you guys are are watching, so we're out, we're on video. I still have I still have a, a lot of toys from when I was a kid, including my mail away. I have the mail away thing and my original 12 figures in their in cases, so my kids might go to school eventually. But on my shelf, and it's been in the back of, of one of these little cubbies on my shelf, I still have my original Han Solo 1977 blaster that was sitting all the way in the back. And the one thing I bought myself, I don't know why I'm getting choked up, the one thing I bought myself from Celebration was a little acrylic stand And I took it from the back of the shelf and I put it right out front and right up on top so I could see it. And when I do the live show, you can see it because all of a sudden that thing that meant so much to me as a kid means so much to me again. And it's something that I am excited to share with my family and my friends and my extended family. And I am now looking forward to going back to Star Wars Celebration in 2020 which as we just found out is going to be once again for the first time since 2015 back in Anaheim. So it's sort of coming back home, which, and you know, not so coincidentally galaxy's edge will be right down the street. Um, Guys, I cannot thank you enough for not just tonight, which is almost going into the, into the wee hours of the morning, but for all that you guys do to not just share your love and fandom of Star Wars and this in this incredible world with other people, but allowing for for us for allowing me to um, do this with you and and to to be on the shows. Um, do me a favor, tell everybody where they can find you, how to follow you, and all the Star Wars goodness that you guys share.
3: So our website is Forcecast.net. We also are affiliated with the Force.net. So either one of those websites. Uh, are going to be your go-to there. We're also on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Podcasts. We are on Insert Podcast, catch your name here. Um, we also are on Twitter, at ForceCastNet, because unfortunately, somebody's sitting on at ForceCast. So if you're listening, I do have $3 in my pocket. Um, and then also <laughs> Facebook.com ForceCast. Uh, we're at all of your sort of main stops. And uh, we definitely would, uh, would appreciate you checking us out.
4: And you can find me each and every week on Coffee with Kenobi. We are a podcast that makes, you, hopefully, will make you think about Star Wars in a whole new way, and will make you laugh in the process. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, everywhere you can find any podcast. You know, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, everywhere that you can listen to podcasts. You can listen to us. We also have a Patreon exclusive weekly show called Cwk Pour Over, where myself, Corey Club, and Tom Gross talk about not only Star Wars, but other pop culture things, the theme parks, all kinds of stuff. I also co-host a bi-weekly podcast called Looking at Lucasfilm with Jim Hill. And then I write for StarWars.com and IGN. And you can find me personally on Twitter at Mr. Zer M R Z E H R, and sometimes
2: I sleep. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought I was busy. Jeez Louise, man! But listen, it's uh, it's an amazing time where we as fans are not only able to go to things like Star Wars Celebration, and we have all this amazing content and merchandise and toys and collectibles to to um, to not just take in, but but share our fandom as well. Uh, I appreciate you guys so very much for uh, joining this week, and as a very wise um, old Jedi once said, may the Schwartz be with you. (laughs) Hey, Lou, thank you so much for having me on
4: WDW Radio. This is a bucket list for me. Thank you. This is great.
3: Yeah, the pleasure is uh, is absolutely... All ours, and uh, if you want to hear Lou uh, more, which who doesn't want to hear Lou more, <laughs> uh, definitely check out the audio documentary we did about Star Tours, in which uh, Mr. Paul Rubens makes an appearance. And uh, it's not every day you can say you're in the same documentary as Paul Rubens, but uh, I, I hopefully Lou wears that as a badge of uh, honor as he walks around his house. Up there.
2: Uh, I, my kids are tired of hearing me say, I was in a documentary with P- kids, wake up. Me and Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the dance, kids. <laughs> You're like who? Pee-wee what it's time for our Walt Disney World trivia question of the week where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes what you see or hear or taste in the parks. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney Prize package. But of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back and review last week's and select our winner. So last week, I kept it straightforward and somewhat simple because I asked you to tell me what was the name. I was feeling very nostalgic. Again, what was the name of the former host of Innoventions in the early 2000s? And again, thanks to the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct. Some of you didn't get it correct, but were very creative in your answers. Ken Jennings from the Astuter Computer Review was a few people's answers. Some of the other robots that used to wander their way around. DreamFinder Figment. None of those were actually the host of Interventions. In fact, his name was Tom Morrow 2.0. He was a small, singing, talking robot that talked about and, and introduced guests to the various areas throughout Interventions from about 2000 to 2007 or so. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you or your kids, he was also the host of Disney Channel's Imagineer That Shorts. Now, while he was in Interventions West, he brought you through the road to tomorrow. He introduced you to some of the great roadside attractions, including Network Living, Beautiful Science, the Lutron Ultimate Home Experience, Video Games of Tomorrow, which was originally Sega and then Disney Interactive, the Disney.com Internet Zone. Ooh, how futuristic. By Compaq, the Tomorrow 2.0 Playground, and the Epcot Interactive Kiosks known as Discover the Stories Behind the Magic. Again, if you've seen Tom Morrow, you'll know and recognize that little yellow friendly robot who, rest in peace, is no longer there. Who knows? You might find little hints of references to Tom Morrow, little Easter eggs somewhere hidden in Epcot, but I digress. Anyway, I took all of... The correct answers from last week, randomly selected one, and again, you were playing for all of my digital products, my uh, 102 A's to save money for an Walt Disney World book, as well as my seven virtual audio walking tours of all the different lands in the Magic Kingdom, which you can still find at www.radio.com and on iTunes, a WW Radio vinyl sticker, a pop socket, and I promised you a T-shirt, so that's what I'm going to send you. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is sharon damico so sharon you use the online form i have your address i will get your prize package you right away if you played last week and did win don't sweat it because here's your next chance to enter in this week's walt disney world trivia challenge so we're talking star wars mandalorian galaxy's edge lest we forget star tours over at disney's hollywood studios will be interesting to see how that plays into the story of galaxy's edge but while the destination has changed throughout the years and changes every time you ride due to the randomization factor one thing that has remained constant is your flight number and that's what you have to tell me this week what is your star tours flight number now You have until Sunday, April 28th at 11.59 p.m., not a second later. Well, I'll take it anyway. To go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, submit your entry there. Again, you're going to play for all the digital products, the vinyl sticker, and instead of a t-shirt and a pop socket, I'm going to send you a surprise prize, surprise prize that I got for you from Star Wars Celebration. So good luck. Of course, may the force be with you, yada, yada, yada. May the Schwartz be with you and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I sincerely appreciate you. I know that your time is so incredibly limited and valuable and it really does mean a lot that you spend and share it with me. I also want to thank all of you who are members of the WW Radio Nation family. I appreciate your love and your support and friendship and help. And I also love the opportunity of being able to thank you and give back to you each and every month. I want to thank new members like James Connors, Ryan Kell, Kelly Clevinger, Dana Kramer, Jeff Matheson, Mark Davis. Not the Mark Davis, but Mark Davis and Jackie Arthur. If you want to find out more about how you can not only help the show but get exclusive rewards every month. It starts at just a dollar a month. Visit www.radio.com support. And please don't forget that a portion of your contribution does go to the Dream Team Project that directly benefits the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Don't forget that in addition to the podcast, I invite you to join me, join us, the community, and the conversation over in the Box People group over on Facebook. That's where the community and conversation exists. Go to www.radio.com slash Box People. Also, join me every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WW Radio Live. This week, special live show, our Avengers pregame Before the release of Endgame, we'll discuss your speculation, your expectations, and I'll share my top 10, spoiler free obviously because I haven't seen it, my top 10 Avengers Endgame theories. That's this Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. If you can't catch it live, don't forget you can watch the replay over on the WW Radio page or group. Of course, I want to hear from you, so if you have a question you want me to answer on the air, you can email me, lou at WWRadio.com. Or call the voicemail with your questions, comments, thoughts, opinions, or a hello from the parks or the Avengers Endgame Theater at 407 900 9391 You can also connect with me online. I am at Lumonjello on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook. And while I love having conversations on the internet, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. So I invite you to please join me. Join the community at the next WW Radio Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World. We also have other special events. In world, throughout the world, our, we still have one spot left for our trip to Japan, 13 nights through Adventures by Disney, our cruise out of New Orleans in February, other events coming up. To find out more to RSVP, go to www.radio.com slash events. I'll also be doing other meetups on the road as I travel to speak and to find out how I can come to present to your business your conference your special event or your school about anything from entrepreneurship to social media the disney difference using lessons we learned from disney about customer service in your business how to build your brand you can find out more over at lumangelo.com i'd also love to be able to help you individually directly whether you are a solopreneur starting a business trying to grow your business or your brand there's a number of different ways i can do it i have one spot left for my Momentum Weekend Retreat here in Orlando, not far from Walt Disney World, May 31st through June 2nd. I've extended the super early bird price and added an extra discount code. Use code MOVEFORWARD. Save $100 for on that remaining seat. I also have my Momentum Weekend Workshop and Mastermind September 28th and 29th in Walt Disney World. And I can also work with you individually or via small group coaching. I have two seats left for my weekly mastermind group. You can find out more about any or all these over at loomangelo.com. Thanks as always to Becky Mankin from Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider. No, other, no matter the Disney or other destination you are going to, whether it's an Adventures by Disney, a cruise, Disneyland, or anywhere on this beautiful planet of ours, they can help you with the best possible prices, an incredible level of service, all at no cost to you. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. Then go check out Celebrations Magazine over at celebrationspress.com. And finally, if you can and if you like the show, please help spread the word. It's the best way to build, the right way to build our clubhouse and community. So if you can, tell your friends. Tweet out that you're listening to this or your favorite episode. Share it over on Facebook And if you could take just 30 seconds, I don't even think it takes that long to rate and review the show and over iTunes. It's incredibly helpful. I want to thank KBS who says it's great. Even after a decade, I started listening to WDW WDW radio in September. I've been working my way through back catalog every day. I love the energy and enthusiasm that Lou brings to all things, Disney. It makes the time between visits to the world, all the more magical. I'm up to episode one Oh five. Wow. From February, 2009 and still going strong. I just want to say thanks and congrats to Lou on winning the podcast award for 2007-2008 and especially for finishing the 2008 half marathon. Wow, that was a lifetime ago. I've recently begun training for that race myself, inspired by the knowledge that, quote, if Lou can do it, then I can do it. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Close quote. KBS, trust me, my friend. If my little legs can do it, you can too. And speaking of that, you should... you should join all of you should come and join the WW radio running team it doesn't matter if you've done your first marathon or your 100th if it's a 5k 10k half full if you just want to come and cheer visit wdwrun.com it's a lot of fun i promise you ambulance 211 says i'm moving to disney lose episode on moving to disney was the catalyst that made my final decision decision we're moving to disney this october congrats brother Thank you, Lou, and friends for the push we needed to make the jump. That's from Sean. And Stern Sam says, amazing. It's the podcast for every Disney fan. There are so many times during the show I get the chest feels and the goosebumps because of how they bring the magic through the discussions, keep shining bright, and spreading the positivity. Sam, Sean, it's who I am. It is what I do, and that's exactly what I want to try and do, is be a bright light for you be something positive and happy to look forward to each and every week and maybe just maybe as a secondary effect that'll help you want to and become a bright light for somebody else that might need it and you know what sometimes as we work to create light and be the light for others we actually end up lighting our own way as well i hope that this is your best brightest week ever. Thank you so very much. I love you and appreciate you. So until next time, see ya.
5: Hey Lou, this is Brian Wilson over in St. Augustine, Florida. Happy Easter. I'm just catching up on your podcast. And I just listened to the best seats in the house. And, uh, I wanted to add us military guys that, um, get to actually go out once in a while and relax and get to, uh, stay at Disney world. um, A lot of us like to stay over at Shades of Green and just sitting out on the porch of your room, either looking out over the pool or looking out over the golf course or the fountain that's there in the middle with the wild turkeys and the um, peacocks that are out there and uh, just actually taking time to spend with your family and just sitting and, and relaxing is a big part of uh, a thing for us because we don't always get to actually sit and relax and sometimes through the hustle and the puzzle of things that we have to do, we actually get to uh, relax a little bit out there too over at Shades. So uh, just wanted to add that um, and uh, keep up the good work. We appreciate everything that you do and uh, keep it on, brother. All right. Talk to you guys later.
1: Bye-bye. Hey, Lou. It's Christine Morrison from Flowertown, PA. I just wanted to pass along. I was out and about today, and I had to stop at Wawa to get some coffee. And I was wearing my Cinderella Castle vacation mode shirt today. And one of the workers was standing there uh, filling up all the creams and milks and such. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, the gondolas are going to have air conditioning. And I looked at him, and I was like, I sure hope they do. It's Florida, and it's hot. And we proceeded to have a full-on conversation about Disney World. And his mom has a timeshare at Bay Lake Tower, and he's going in November. And I'm super jealous. Anyway, a little bit of Disney in Wawa. Just wanted to pass that along. It's everywhere, people, and I love it. Have a great, great night, everybody. I'll see you on the box in just about an hour and a half uh, make somebody smile see you guys bye
0: hey Lou it's Jim Smith calling from Hanover Mass hey I'm calling for response to your uh, to your show about the best seats in Walt Disney World so my favorite seat is anywhere where I could possibly be that guy And uh, not necessarily a guy, but I've I've seen it as that guy uh, when you get picked on in, say, Monsters uh, Incorporated last floor. Uh, It could be a little embarrassing, but it's all in good fun. Uh, You could be the secret stowaway person in Star Tours um, or, or be, you know, be talked to and interacted with by Crush at Turtle Talk with Crush. All of these attractions where know you get a chance to be more than just a a spectator in the event Um, my son was offered to go up on stage and then we do music review and he was a little too bashful so they ended up picking someone else Um, and I actually had an incredible opportunity to be a an extra or like a stunt extra I don't know what you call it uh, at the Indiana Jones stunt show uh, where I got to scream and Act All Afraid, all this sort of cool stuff that I would never have gotten to do. I, I have a backstage picture somewhere with several other extras. Uh, I'll try to find that and we to the box group. But anyway, any chance that you can sort of luck into being one of those people that gets that additional level of interaction in those theater-style attractions, uh, that's my vote for best seat in the house. Uh, so anyhow... Uh, that's that. Thanks, Lou. Appreciate the show and appreciate the, the box and everything that you've done with this great community. Uh, so on. Take care.
1: Hello, Lou Manzello. It's Darlene Nagy from La Seneca, New York, calling in with the countdown. I have 58 days until i back down in the world. And then I have down on my calendar that you guys have 301 days until. The New Orleans cruise out of New Orleans, and hopefully there will be a meetup there. Then, Japan the
0: now or Japan, which is so
1: exciting, I can't wait. About 185 days, and I heard there's still room available for that. So. Do you a favor and book that last room. I wish I could, but I know I can't. So go ahead. Have a magical day and follow Lou in Chicago for Star Wars weekend. I hope he has a wonderful time. Have a magical day. <laughs>
5: Stand by for final
4: systems, check. Forward lights, check. Deflector shield, check. Laser cannons, check. I I said check, Artu. Shut them down before you blow up the whole place. Sometimes, Artu, I can't understand your logic at all.
2: I uh, have
1: a bad
2: feeling
4: about
1: this. I have a bad
5: feeling about this.
1: very bad feeling about this.
5: You're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home. Great warrior.
0: War not make one great,
1: Your eyes can deceive you. Don't touch You underestimate the power of the dark side. So be it,
2: Jedi. Remember,
0: the
5: boss will be with you, always.